The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 211 Breakdown, a stack card, a long week, a podcast full of surprises. We went deep. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, my fellow degenerates and degenerites alike, or as I like to say, my friends, this is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst and writer, MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. And today, yes, it is breakdown day, UFC 211. We've been waiting. It's been, it's been three long weeks, and for me, it's been three hard weeks. So let me just uh, uh, catch everybody up for the sake of, uh, well, not brevity. That's not the word I'm looking for. But hey, let's just catch everybody up because it has been a bit of a three weeks. Um, I've been putting out the top fives for you, so hopefully you like those. We had a fun top five duos episode with... Uh, Pound for Pound podcasts, Jordan Killian and Sam Alvey. Shout out to them and their show. Thanks for coming on. Also, the following week we had, last week now, um, my man, Gigi, gorgeous George Garcia from MMA Junkie Radio. Uh, thank you, Gigi, for coming on. We did top five female fights and uh, on Cinco de Mayo, uh, Saucy de Mayo, because we got a little sauced up in the sports book. That was really fun. Hopefully you dug that. But I know uh, there's been a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. First off, let me say thank you. Uh, those of you wishing well to my dog, uh, it's, it's been a long month that started off as just really bad allergies for, for the old boxer pit bull there. And uh, it just kept developing to worse and worse and worse. To At one point, we thought you know it was possible uh, cancer. He had swelling and stopped eating. And uh, thankfully, no other swelling showed up. And... We thought it was just a swollen gland. Actually, it wasn't a swollen gland. It was better. It was an infected abscess on a swollen gland that blew up in his mouth. So there was a lot of blood. But after that, everything got a lot better. He is on the men, almost back to normal. That is the doggy update. I actually had a surprising amount of you. Surprising amount of you were dog people. Really, really stoked to see and hear that and really appreciate the kind words. So um, if you didn't see it on Twitter earlier, uh, posted just a brief update, even briefer than this. But yeah, there, th- there's the update there. Thank you. Like I was alluding to, as you heard me just tired and rugged before UFC Nashville. I think the streak was like supposed to get supposed to have gotten beat that week, but I'm just so hard headed. I had to get some content out, but literally, like aside from the, the dog stuff that I just alluded to, I mean, um, it was just like a nonstop thing. Like you know. Uh, my dog, and then my 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 water thing goes out in my uh, my sink. Uh, some lights go out. Just a bunch of just one thing after another, like you name it. It was it was really insane. So I mean, like it it was just it was just a crazy week. I'll just put it at that. And then yes, uh, other things too behind the scenes. People asking me, hey, what was going on? We saw the post. You're you're no longer with Flow Combat and MMA Latest News. And in case you didn't see the post on Twitter, um, yes, this happened about a couple weeks ago. Um, it. it it's been going on for for some time. I have some things working behind the scene that I can't quite tell you, but I alluded to this. I alluded to plan A of it, um, you know, kind of uh, unfolding, and that was plan A. Um, and 
it was a healthy separation because I still love and am still friends personally with everybody from Flow and MMA Latest News. Uh, they're all great from, you know, uh, Matt, Jim, Steven, everybody uh, over at MMA Latest and, you know, everybody at Flow, uh, Dwayne and Hunter and and uh, and uh, some of the people I'll give a shout out to uh, James Lynch uh, in a couple fights, uh, you know, for, for his interviews and hard work he does just everywhere at, uh, on his YouTube channel. Uh, odds breaker as well, but yeah, everybody's great over at Flow. Um, this was a this, this was just one of those things where we're professionals. Uh, we have you know opportunities and certain things and certain pursuals, and, and sometimes it just opens up that way. Um, that's all I can really say, I guess. But but believe me when I tell you, there was no drama, there was no ill things on any side. I have no complaints professionally or personally. Again guys that uh, I will be having beers with and look forward to having beers with next time they're in town. So so people that were concerned about that and asking, uh, I'm sorry I couldn't give you a lot of information. I'm sorry if I still can't in the, you know, in, in the big picture, but please know that this is a good thing. Good things are in the works. Um, and, and still staying busy, you know, still making my rounds. You know, I did did Cage Siders yesterday. Went in the Cage Sider studio again for Action TV. So thanks, uh, Jeremy Long the war at the War Weekly and, and at Reyes Striking. That's right, Coach Angelo Reyes, former guest of the Protect Your Neck podcast, for having me on your show uh, once again to break down the fights. <laughs> Hope I can do all right. I uh, went perfect on their show last time with the uh, UFC Kansas card, so... Uh, hopefully, you know, the pressure's on, you know, you got to deliver. It's like a M night, right? He, he comes out and he blows your doors off with a sixth sense, but then he hits you with unbreakable. I liked unbreakable. I'll defend unbreakable. That's a, that's another conversation for possibly another podcast, but, uh, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. You know, you, you kind of, you, you, there's a lot of pressure and, and you could do so well and just kind of sets you up for almost unfair standards there. But anyways, th- th- uh, you know, thank those guys for, for having me on. Look for that to drop, uh, you know, still going, making my rounds. I do well, on my friend's show. As just mentioned, MMA Junkie Radio was on their show last week. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, and and yeah, man, staying busy, still doing the breakdowns at mixedmartialanalyst.com. Um, and obviously, you're listening to it. The Protect Your Neck podcast still going strong. And and, and uh, the things that I've meaning to get done, just despite these crazy weeks. Sorry for the fast talk here. Just uh, Dan Tom's actually. Yeah, speaking of the crazy week, Dan Tom's going to do some uh, human stuff, and I'm actually going to go see a movie with uh, with the girlfriend. We're going to go see Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and I am going to fucking tune out. So I am stoked to do this podcast, but that that is also why if there is a, uh expedited tone, just, just trying to get it out, especially this beginning part, Pleasantries, then we can then we can light up a cigarette. I don't smoke, but, you know, we light up a cigarette, burn one, and uh, go deep into the tracks of the... UFC 211 card, but but yeah, back on track just just to clean things up again. Um, yeah, it's business as usual here. It's going strong. The things that I wanted to get done, I actually have a SoundCloud uh, channel started. Unfortunately, there's only a couple tracks if you go there uh, uploaded um, because I'm I'm waiting. I'm gonna be hooking up with uh, Mike Stith, shout out web guy from MixedMartialAnalyst.com, and uh, he helps me with the analytics sides of what kind of a you know a pro account, how to run these things and. Couple other, you know, tid tads about the RSS feed and so forth, but yeah, the uh, YouTube channel application is in as well. That is in process. Um, 
my dumb ass figured out how to list more than 10 episodes at a time on iTunes so you can get all episodes. That's right. This is number 27 you're listening to. So everything all the way back to number one or number two, which was uh, top five uh, BJ Penn moments with uh, my good buddy Robin Black, who I talked to recently. He is kicking ass too. So, so good to see. Good to see. And thank you guys for sharing. Again, I don't really ask for it that much, but I, I went and I peeked, and I, there was actually like a bunch of positive ratings and comments on the iTunes account. So thank you guys for that. It means the world. Your kind words, whether you reach out on Twitter, uh, anybody who reaches out to me knows I, I always try to reach out uh, and respond as much as I can and be real good about that. Um, although I got to, you know, kind of manage it when people uh, <laughs> ask me for. Uh, Ask me for my take on a fight that I broke down or or uh, question why I picked something on a fight that I broke down in depth. And I love you all, but just please, please. I'm trying to shorten up the summaries, by the way. I really am. But please read, read, read it, read it. Because uh, I'm such a... I'm such a nice guy and dumbass that I will actually respond and rewrite my breakdown and like waste 20 minutes of my day. <laughs> so I don't mind responding. Please ask away. Um, you know, but uh, but 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 please. Uh, I just want to. The main the main point of that is just thanks for all the shares and comments. It really means a lot. That's the best thing you can do. This is free content. I'm not charging you for any of this. Uh, I put my, my heart, my soul. You can see all the work. I, I don't think I need to defend that to anybody. Um, and you don't have to like it. I never, I never, I don't put a gun to anybody's head. I don't want you to like me or put me in your only source. I just want to be a part of said source. Be a said refer, uh, reference. And yeah, if you want to pay me back, um, sure, there's, you know, on it click throughs and, uh, you know, PayPal donations. And we'll have an Amazon link coming up soon on mixedmartialanalyst.com. That does help. But honestly, the best thing you could do, it, honestly, just, if, you're, if you're asking, which you're not, I'm just, I'm talking to myself here. Give it a share. Give it a positive post on social media. Give it a, a positive uh, rating and review on iTunes. You don't know how much that helps me. Um, hopefully, if I, this this uh, sailing shit show gets to a point of sponsorship, then yeah, that stuff's going to come in handy. Um, and all that social media followers and all that junk. I'm not the best at it, but again, I'm I'm interactive as shit. It's a one man show. I'm my own. Um, Editor, producer, uh, publicist—you uh, know, whatever you want to call it—I'm I'm everything. It's the one-man show here, with help, of course, to my man behind the scenes for the tech stuff, uh, Mike Stith, who I'll be getting with soon. So, again, things are things are pushing through. Um, also, shout out to my man Joe Suzuki. I don't think I'm going to be making it to Costa Rica. Me, me and the lady this um, this summer. My buddy Joe's been out there, and. Even though he's been out in Costa Rica and doing, you know, peace mission and just being productive as shit and just super proud of him, he's like rolling and more and doing more martial arts. Uh, not rolling like ecstasy, jujitsu, folks. Um, he's rolling more and stuff like more than me now. It's great. So, Joe, I know you've been listening and I got the kind words you sent recently. Just know uh, me, Cassie, and our, our mutual best friend. That's right. Joe is a part of the circle with uh, Brian and Schoonover, who you hear in the after party edition. We all love and miss you, Joe. Shout out to Joe. And yes, one last thing. Um, speaking of you know people reaching out before we get to the breakdown and the breakdown itself, um, there are certain things we and you notice I might not get back to you on. If you're asking me for a take on a fight or I'll be attached to certain conversations on Twitter, which I appreciate you all attaching me to anything. It's really funny. I'm sorry if I don't get a chance to respond or retweet as much as I'd like to, especially these last couple weeks. Please, please forgive me for there because I've legitimately been just insanely bananas busy and crazy on multiple levels but um i am such a nut like 
I'm not such a nut where like I'll avoid odds. I used to try to do that, but it's just too hard. And I'm really disciplined to the point where it's really not an issue. So there's no point to emphasize that. But I like to keep my palate clean. And it sucks because there's guys like Robin Black who I like or uh, Patrick Wyman and Connor Rebush who do excellent work. And, and shout out to Patrick Wyman. He's not at the Bleacher Report doing his written ones, but his his presence will be missed. And 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 uh, but he's moving on to bigger and better things. And as a history buff and just a fan of Pat, you know, congrats to you, Pat. But I. I like all these guys, I can't listen to their podcast or read their content because the you know the filter is sensitive, and even if you know I have a um, I don't want to say treasure trove because that would assume there's value treasure trove of, of junk and bullshit, and I have enough stuff to pull from from my own head. In other words, it doesn't matter. I'm creative. I'm disciplined. I'm respectful. Sure doesn't matter we all have a natural filter to where if you're listening to things it's going to it's going to influence you and although i try not to tout my uh, horn you know uh, inappropriately at all or anything like that or with an ego or any of that nonsense but one of the things i feel that i am good at is cutting through the hype and reading between the bullshit and that's part of the reason why that's part of the reason why that not only i'm not trying to tap my Pat myself on the back by forgive me for bringing it up again, but yes, like Bar- Brian Barberina versus Sage Northcutt because it's such a great example. But not just I got it; the fact that I was one of you know f- you know few whether it was like you know uh, chat room things or official analyst polls, you know, taking it, and it's because narrative is really that strong. And you know, hype is kind of a hater word, and I try not to use it even if I feel like there's a, a legitimate argument, which we might get to there in the main card, um, kind of alluding to, um, but. Uh, with uh, Yair and Frankie because I was, I was attached to this is kind of the foot I was talking about I was attached to these conversations thank you again again I don't want to discourage anybody from reaching out but th- this is why I don't want to taint that because um and th- this is why guys get get on their own get hyped so much and these lines get betting lines get inflated it affects money it affects careers it affects perception and it's all narrative and we are all participants whether you work in the space like me or you're a fan also like me i'm a fan as well i'm a fan first i'll be honest you know i'm I'm just saying for for example um and the narrative is such a strong thing so you have to be aware of that that does that mean you can't be an Av Yair Rodriguez? Of course, I'm an Av Yair Rodriguez. I'm a Taekwondo black belt, and we'll get to that conversation later. But that was the example I use, and and that's something I kind of been wanting to talk about because it's a culture that I see. And again, everybody has their own processes, and there are some guys who are like super responsible, way more responsible. I wish I could be like a, um, you know, Sean Carey. If you watch the How I Watch Fights that uh, at John's Crazy Life did on him, you know, he stays ahead of these. Um, I don't know if I've talked to Daniel Levy specifically, but me and him have talked so many times. He's been on the podcast. I've been on his. Um, and he's good about staying ahead of things. So everybody has their own process. I'm not hating on that. But in general, from what I see from fans to just the general conversations, hardcores, people that I respect, um, there's this kind of first culture. We all feel it, right? We don't all express it the same way, but we all feel it. And that is all I can say is that is so, so dangerous. If again, if you're if you have a certain prep and process and you're prepped ahead of time, fucking fire away. There are some people that I just mentioned, you know, those names are really accurate and great, you know. Um yeah, but it's it's that first culture that leads you down that path, you know. That's why I don't want to answer in an opinion even lightly, you know. I mean, I will say early lean and, and, and I'll give caveats and I'm all down to have an edu- educated conversation and I'm sure many of you listen have had that with me um, through some social medium of social media and and that's all fine and dandy but that's also why if you notice I'm not too eager to get in those conversations much less you're not seeing me um, – 
you know, tout a pick and like, oh, this is, you know, maybe that's the correct word to use, but, you know, really getting behind something. And because then, you know, or you, by the way, if you're, God bless you guys on radio and all that stuff, like, especially, you know, guys like guys in junkie radio, they have to do daily shows. Y- y'all are exempt because, you know, you have to be able to talk about things spot on. You have to give this, um, um, uh, this immediate kind of, uh, this immediate response. And, and Luke Thomas was, I was listening to him, uh, Earlier this week, uh, he got back from, I don't know if it was, was a live chat, I don't know. Um, but yeah, he was talking about uh, just reflecting on the media, and he kind of went in a different direction, which is cool and great, um, and I, I respect his opinion, great dude, uh, Luke in person as well. But um, I, I guess taking that similar theme, but I'm talking more here in the um, in the specific realm of looking at fights and breaking down fights objectively, and if you really truly want to do that, you really have to be careful about committing your opinions early and too early, um, because yeah, it's gonna uh, it'll lead you down that road. You know, just like uh, placing a bet early. You know, you'll hear a lot, a lot of betters talk about this, and they'll end up just doing confirmation bias. We all know what confirmation bias is. You you go and you look for you know um, the information that's going to confirm uh, your assumptions essentially because at that point there are assumptions if you haven't done your research yet but you've tainted your research with confirmation bias by you know shuffling so heavily it's okay to not know you know and even me I've you see all the work I do and I and I have a I don't not just me you listening because it, it's free it's available it dates all the way back to 2015 a database of all my work and breakdowns fights fighter profiles on every UFC card, um, and, you know, the, all the information's out there. I'm not special, you, you know, it's accessible to everybody, uh, you know, and, and if anything, I can, yes, I can, I can, I'm probably pretty qualified to give a, an accurate, quick take, and I'm, I should give myself a little more credit, but maybe I'm just superstitious. If, if you see me kind of, you know, hesitate, that's why. Um, I don't. I don't mind giving second opinions on work. I've had people respectfully ask me, ask me to do so, and I I appreciate that, um, and don't mind it. Um, you, you know, y- y'all know who have reached out to me and uh, know that. But uh, also, that's also why I've kind of delayed getting back on even those two because, again, I'm not going to do anything until my stuff's written. Like right now, once this is out, I'm so stoked. Then you know, especially cards like this where I'm actually going to bet. And then I really am diligent about making my rounds, you know, I'm not just listening to people who might be on, who, who, who might be, you know, uh, on the, uh, how do I say it without being offensive, uh, regular rotation and stuff. Uh, but I really just try to get, get, get opinions everywhere. And, and yes, you know, business wise, you kind of see what everybody's doing and this and that, as I'm sure people poke and see me because I'm, I'm, I'm a little too open to be honest, but it's fine. Man. I'm open about it. I, I don't think anybody's going to, you know, uh, accuse me of one thing or the other that's not why I would reframe you know so strictly but but it's just for my own personal thing and again I admittedly like listen to other people's stuff when I can unfortunately I really can't too much even when my work is done I still have to be careful and you know guys like I said I told you I, I, the names I mentioned who I like even them uh, even after my work is done because I don't want certain words certain uh, saying certain frames of thought to kind of burn into my head and influence, you know, I want to take them in. I want to take that point and go, Ooh, I agree with that. Okay. I agree with half of that. Maybe I'll throw out the other. Okay. I don't agree with that at all. And we all have our own filters and there's no right or wrong answer there, but yeah, sorry for the long winter rant, but this is kind of a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a while because this is kind of a concept of breaking down fights. And I can't tell you how many people 
ask me um, uh, about advice about breaking down fights. And this is like step one. This is step one. You empty the cup, you know, uh, so so to speak, the, the old Chinese proverb. So we're about to hit 20 minutes in. So before we hit 20 211 here as we are on UFC 211 let's uh let's jump to the breakdown shall we because we got a lot to get through and uh not tight on time but you know do got a movie to catch so pardon the clicks as you hear on the keyboard it's just times out uh, you know uh, logins for certain things time out when Dan Tom rants so yeah pull it back up as we're gonna start from the bottom uh yep this one is uh Joaquin Christensen versus ACB's former light heavyweight champ, uh, Godzimurad Antigulov. Uh, Antigulov, you may only know him probably from his UFC fight where uh, it seemed like Rogeria de Lima gave him the guillotine. But uh, yeah, he was an ACB. This is their light heavyweight champion. Um, Face some deceptively tough names. Again, guys, you're not really going to know, but when you start watching the scene, you really... You realize a lot of those, a lot of those dudes are deceptively tough with uh, deceptively tough records. Um, good wrestler, really savvy in submissions, and it's going to come in handy because you really don't need to be a good wrestler to take Joaquin Christensen down. He almost falls down for you because uh, he's really confident in his guard. I mean, you can just kind of look at his submission variations, but you go back and kind of watch watch him in the European, Northern European, Swiss scenes, Superior Cage combat scenes. He is uh, he's going to his back quite frequently, very confident there. And that's why I picked, you know, against him, against uh, Luis Enrique there, because uh, I felt he was going to take too much damage. Um, he did, uh, you know, had some moments, but but yeah, he kind of makes poor decisions, made a little bit of better decisions, and picked up speed in his next fight against uh, Bohan or Boyan uh, Mihalovic. And but Mihalovic is one of those dudes who is just a. Uh, uh, he's a, he's a shit kicker. He's a, he's an ass. Uh, he's a dude who's like I think he hits refs and hits people after the bell. Like there's 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 videos of that that crap that, uh, out there from his regional scenes and, but he breaks as soon as anybody stands up to him. Real typical bully. We saw that. Um, of course you saw that against Nganu <laughs> against him. But we even saw it against a low level guy like Joaquin Christensen who gave him his chances to beat him in that. But uh, as predicted with that fight. And possibly even too with this fight, uh, although I feel like uh, Antigulov should be able to be in cruise control, even if it goes long or even if it's not his best performance. But um, but yeah, yeah, uh, we saw in the Christensen Mihalovic fight that he it, the thing just turned into a shit show um, as it as it went on, which will be kind of the breakdown in a fight that I'll be talking about here in a second, uh, maybe in a couple too. But yeah, uh, the pick is Antigulov. It's a bit high, you know, at minus four to one. It's kind of fluctuating. I'm not sure if it opened at four to one or maybe like in the 350 range and just shot up. Um, again, I'm usually missing the openers on these so if, with my process that I kind of just uh, ranted about. But yeah, um, I did go back and put Antigulov in in some of the bigger like five-man, fun five-man, and, and, and uh, usually I'll do one, you know, fun seven-man parlay for like seven, uh, like five bucks or something just for shits. But like, yeah, he made that stuff, but no serious plays there. Uh, Antigulov um, could have been a legitimate parlay piece. I could have put him in there for that, but <sighs> the price of the line and his activity, I just want, you know, and he's not a big guy. Like a lot of those Russian guys, they're badass, but they don't cut a lot of weight. So they, they, they're like, that's similar to that Japanese mindset as far as their weight cutting approach. So they're not often the biggest guys. And uh, there will be some size and awkwardness 
to deal with with Christensen. Okay, the next fight, though, is on pieces for my parlay because that is Gabriel Benitez versus Enrique Barzola. I thought Benitez would be open higher and would, by this point of the week, I am recording, by the way, uh, Wednesday, midday Pacific time. Um, I, I figured he would be up higher, you know, and he's only, you know, at... Uh, 185, and I think he might have gone lower. Uh, it looks like it might be even be going lower. A lot of faith in Barzola out there, and he hasn't proved. You know, he's worked with American Top Team and has really underrated wrestling and transitions. You know, um, those you know, the Mexicans are stereotyped for their heart and their boxing, but I'll tell you, you know, when when those Mexican boxers with heart, they learn some wrestling and they kind of get that Frankie Edgar mode. They, they produce some of the f- funnest fights. One of my favorite fighters who. You know, retired young, and he was. I always called him my favorite amateur fighter. Me, me, and him had the best rounds at Extreme Couture, man. If I could, I think my some of my best round, my, my, all my best rounds were definitely not in competition. I was terrible. I was one of those guys that just sucked ass in competition. But uh, was with was with Carlos uh, Carlos Garcia, Celos, and uh, you know, won a bunch of titles around North America as an amateur, and he was a one thirty five er, and you know. Real Mexican scrappy boxer, young kid, wasn't even old enough to fight yet, but was just scrapping and and tr- training in the general classes. And as soon as he was old enough, was in the amateur team. And and one of the first skills he he did was a transition and wrestling. You know, and and he's one of the guys where I would consistently see in the wrestling practices, which not a lot of not a lot of guys attended. And you know, I admit I, <laughs> that was one of the first things I stopped attending when I started you know stopped uh, getting out of competition. Those those. So hard practices, and um, he just makes for some of the most fun fighters, man. And that's that's what Enrico Enrique Barzola reminds me of. But he hasn't been taxed. He hasn't faced you know a lot of top competition, and he was essentially ended almost a charity matchup with a guy of Chris Avila. Avila, when you want to talk about guys who shouldn't be you know in the in the UFC, that that guy shouldn't have been. And you know his leg, I believe, was compromised at a certain point, or I think in the wrong fight. But yeah, he was just essentially checked out and fighting to survive in the Barzola fight. Toward the, it was clear toward the, not even toward the back half. I say just the last two rounds, and um, you know, granted it was altitude and Barzola was getting tired, which again it was an altitude. I mean, it was Denver, so it's I, I can't condemn him. Maybe it was just a weird performance, and that was holding him back by finishing a guy he should have finished. But you, you know, I, I the, the, you know, I, I still don't think he can get taxed by striking, and if he can't get a guy down. Um, even if he can get a guy down, he hasn't showed any type of game over or process yet. He's still a little too scrambling the transitions where I can say, okay, he's going to definitively hold the guy down, although he's training with the right people to do so when he, when he does go to these, these big teams, uh, kind of hard to track what he, exactly he was doing for this camp. Uh, but Gabriel Benitez, um, has stuck with a big camp since leaving tough Latin America. And by the way, tough Latin America, you know, a lot of those guys are really, you know, kind of written off, and some of them has been surprising us of late. And Gabriel Benitez is probably one of the guys I am the most high, highest on of, of all those seasons. Big fan. He's a, a southpaw, pressure-fighting Muay Thai striker who, you know, Javier Mendez quotes as having some of the hardest kicks at AKA, which is really impressive. But he has a natural knack for wrestling and a good sense of himself as far as the urgency to get up. And that was clear even through his earlier, and even in the tough house, you know. And, and one of the submissions that he does work, although he admittedly, you know, slacked on the ground game early in his career, as it showed in his record. And, but he developed a mean guillotine. He really has these different good risk, you know, variations. Uh, looks like he's been watching a lot of Marcelo team videos because he, I've seen him take different grip variations and get over the shoulder. 
um, real flexible wrists with the gloves on. And, and again, as a, as a pressure fighter and as a striker, especially as a pressure fighting striker, uh, Guillotine is your best friend. And he's a natural wrestler showing natural chops. He's a, a solid 5'8", a good size for the division. Um, yeah, I think the line's off here. I, I, I put juice on Benitez straight up, and, and he is a big part of almost every parlay. So <laughs> I just watch, I just jinked myself. Now Barzola's going to come and pull off some crazy decision. But that is the thing. Barzola is durable, so I think this may go to a decision. That's why I wasn't too confident in Benitez getting uh, a finish, though I am confident in his abilities, both standing and on the ground and in this fight. But Barzola's got those intangibles there. So. That being said, you know, Benitez can go deep, you know, against a guy, a guy like rugged uh, Clay Collard, who I actually think is pretty underrated. Um, at, you know, maybe not a world beater or whatever, and and uh, we'll see how he does if he gets back up to the UFC level. Because I don't think he's in the UFC right now, but at the time for the matchup, relatively speaking, yeah, an underrated, uh, underrated guy than more give credit for so yeah that's why i'm high on gabe benitez next fight chase sherman versus rashad coulter the first dog pick first dog pick and it's a debutante and why well his brother bluto said in animal house oh i almost had the burp to go with it why not um congratulations if you realize that reference 1978 animal house but uh but yeah uh, chase sherman you know it's good, good good sign you know works with good people alan belcher and then you know doing this camp Finally, a full camp at um, at Jackson Wink MMA, and I know that because I listened to his and Rashad Coulter's interview with James Lynch. So that was the shout out I was alluding to for James Lynch. Very, very helpful to um, us us degenerates, uh, Mr. Lynch. Thank you, sir. Um, but yeah, uh, Chase Sherman is just he's just too darn hittable, man. He's too darn hittable. A little too stiff. Takes a little bit of a beat. Watches his work a bit, has that head nice and upright to be hit. So even though his movement and his athleticism is superb, athletic kid could definitely put Coulter out within his own realm and or mix it in, you know, mix it in and make this fight go long. But if it goes long, it's going to turn into a shit show. I'm sure Rashad Coulter looks better than his previous uh, 2014 uh, footage, which is the last time you can really see him on the ground. But from what I hear from people in the area of Tejas, Texas, uh, good things coming from Rashad Coulter. Again, from that interview from James Lynch, he recently is, is not working now and became a full-time fighter. So now he's focused. All his eggs are in one basket. He's an athletic kid. Um, even though Chase Sherman describes him as one-dimensional, being a guy with the right hand, I really like his movement. He has that kind of Tyson-esque dip, come up, left hook, taking slight angles. He does little things that let me know. He's there's some smoothness and it kind of makes sense when I heard the interview with Lynch because he was talking about his hobby was I believe I, I by the way great great question James uh, uh, James mixes it up and we'll ask him what they like on Netflix and not so much as a Netflix guy because I'm always complaining that they, they ran out of stuff to watch but as a as a nutty movie guy who just watches stuff I appreciate those I appreciate the mixing of the movies as you can tell I listen to the Protect Your Neck podcast but Shot Coulter I think he said he didn't watch any movies but he watches fight footage. And he studies fight footage, and maybe that's again with a kind of Tyson comparison reminded me too, because the way he was talking about it was, you know, Mike Tyson talking about going back to the old film vault and you know watching and putting up the old reels, the old 135, you know, or the, you know the old uh, not 135, you know, old bantamweights, you know, featherweights, and all these lighter weight boxers that Tyson used to, uh, you know, mold his game around. And I picture Rashad Coulter kind of doing the same thing. 
And, uh, and yeah, I mean, he hasn't faced anybody uh, impressive. You look at those records there are pretty, you know, kind of embarrassing, even though, you know, legit organizations, LFA, for sure. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, I, again, I, I did put a play on him. Um, I'm not telling you to, to follow me off off that cliff by betting on a debutante, but, yeah, the pick there is Coulter. Um, but that is also why it's on the fights to avoid, too, so... Uh, I am, you know, because again, this this thing is is, is a shit show. Um, it was minus three hundred. I I played it. Now it's kind of up to minus four hundred, which is still some acceptable parlay fodder if you're looking for something safe to throw in your parlays. But that's a minus four hundred. I'm talking. I'm referring to the prop of this fight does not go the distance, because that's probably the safest bet. Even though, um, sorry for that pop. Even though, I think um, Coulter's gonna take it. All right, the next fight, Jared Gordon versus. Michelle, Michael, I don't know how to pronounce it, Quinones, but I am excited for this one. Um, Jared Gordon is the deserved favorite and my pick, as he was kind of coming into this, uh, what little I knew about him. And then watching more, uh, really impressive, you know, definitely should be the favorite. Um, but the thing is, this is going to be a lot closer fight than I, uh, than you think when you watch uh, Quinones. I like Quinones. He comes from a karate base, has a taekwondo and karate base. That's 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 right up my alley. So I could kind of see a lot of the things he was doing. But what was impressive was his boxing. I mean, you know, he he he, he even though he'll switch to the southpaw, which is you know like the common tell of the karate taekwondo guy. He fights a lot out of orthodox, and he'll kind of step on that outside angle and take those lead foot pivots and 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 bait you right into a you know feed you right into a left hook. I mean, he's got really nice shots off his left side. He's got a nice, you know, switch stance, head kick, uh, knockout. Um, and, and more importantly, he seems to have a really good fight IQ, uh, sense of space, which, which, which I talk about all the time um, as the hidden upside to how I talk about mechanically. It's hard to not have your head up and your hands down when you're doing that karate leap in and leap out. But the thing is, when, you, when you're doing that from a kid and the benefit from doing that for years and years, even... You know, say what you will in your critiques on point karate and, and not doing that contact sparring is you're saving your brain cells first of all as a kid and you're getting yourself used to combat and punches and kicks throwing at you again i'm not an athletic specimen I, I never was or this or that but the reason why i can survive in a room and was able to survive in in the extreme couture rooms and sparring when i was competing was because i spent the first 20 years of my life doing you know uh, national and regional uh, taekwondo and karate and having punches and kicks thrown at my head I'm not special, but I guarantee you, if you have enough punches and kicks thrown at your head, you're going to figure out what the fuck to do, <laughs> at least I hope, <laughs> or, you know, you end up beyond repair, which I'm probably on my way to, neither here nor there, so, uh, but yeah, I really like Quinones, um, and, and, and what he does, and uh, what I was saying about that sense of space is, is it translates to his wrestling, his hips, his awareness, I mean, not, not just good quote-unquote takedown defense, I mean, he is sprawling and circling away. Um, you know, uh, keeping the right amount of space, not, not, not overly selling out, you know, floating just enough, but also putting, you know, hip on the weight, you know, hip, hip, you know, or weight in the hips onto the back of his opponent's head all at the appropriate time, um, which could make takedowns more difficult for Jared Gordon, who is great against the fence. He's good in the open. He has this like this kind of magnet where he just sucks tight in the guy's hips. You know, you really see his wrestling base there come through. Um, and again, you know, he's a John Donaher guy. Jared Gordon is so he's he's going to have, you know, should he be able to stabilize us on the ground, he's going to have the control and the knowledge and the techniques um, where he has the advantage there. But 
the reason why it's closer may be harder for Jared Gordon to get this on the ground than he thinks. And I like Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon does some really awesome shifts, too. Uh, you know, he comes from a, a boxing lineage. Um, I believe his grandfather was a serious boxer in his day. And, uh, you know, he's not too liberal about, you know, the head movement and slips, which is immediately what I look for. But with his style, he kind of can't avoid it. So, in other words, if he's not too careful and he doesn't give Kinona's enough to think about or respect, I could really see Kinona's lighten him up and uh, lighten up that, that lateral movement because uh, Jared Gordon's a good lateral mover. You know, another good sign of his own athleticism. I mean, these are really two good athletes, technicians, guys with martial arts bases. I mean, th this is a really good pa – these, these guys both have really complete packages here. Um, even if you've never heard of them or maybe only heard of the looking for a fight um, Jared Gordon guy. But, I mean, really a lot to like here. I'm really – excited about this uh i've been excited about the fight where it's guys for two first two fights in the ufc prize it's like uh, i think it was uh pantosia and wow you must not have been that excited because you can't remember the other gentleman's name but you know what i'm talking about off that um tough 24 finale anyways um this one also is the second on my fights to avoid list uh for that reason debutantes close sit back crack a beer enjoy all right, next fight, James Vick, Marco Polo Reyes. Almost on my way to being on one of my pieces for my parlay, uh, even though, you know, the, the high kind of uh, line. And I don't want to say inflated because I, I, I can kind of get it. With uh, Again, I'm, I'm a fan of James Vick. Um, I, I enjoy him on, uh, speaking of my, 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 my buddy Daniel Levy there on Half the Battle. That's where I've, at least that's where I've heard him um, in the past. Um, and, uh, Seems like a real smart guy, real into watching footage, real, you know, you you can see the defensive liability and the path to victory for a p past opponents, and Marco Poirier isn't in this spot, um, but, but but Vic himself has stated, uh, you know, this was an MMA Junkie Radio, but I heard this one, though, he's, he spent, you know, you see Golden Gloves champion in Texas, and he spent a lot of, a lot of that time in Texas uh, fighting, quote-unquote, Mexican boxers, hold on, take a sip of this. Uh, pineapple sculpin. Oh, that's good. It's actually my girlfriend's pineapple sculpin, but uh, she's watching me drink it right now, so I'm being watched. Blink twice. Damn, damn. Blink twice if you need help. I'm just kidding. She's not holding me hostage yet. Um, yeah, we're talking about... Boy, this is why we don't drink. Oh, I skipped Jessica Aguilar and Courtney Casey. Fuck it. I'll, give, I'll go back to that. I skipped them. But yeah, James Vick and Marco Pollo Reyes. This is why you don't stop to drink. But Dan, you messed up before you stopped to drink. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely a path uh, to victory. Pollo Reyes, um, not just a slugger, uh, really putting his game together, working at Alliance consistently, not just in past camps, this camp too. We're seeing a little bit of improvements each time out, namely his takedown defense transition and kind of just ring generalship. I mean, he had the punching power, the pop, you know, the heart. All those things, again, not to do the stereotype, not to do the stereotypical talk there, but all those things you associate with the Mexican fighters you love. And, uh, excuse me. Yeah, hiccup, hiccup, I know. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, yeah, um, Marco Poirier Reyes, he put on, you know, that fight of the year against, against, uh, uh, uh Glenn from The Walking Dead. <laughs> Dong Young Kim. <laughs> he made him look like Glenn from The Walking Dead. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Ah, sorry. Sorry to bring that up. I know, I'm a fan of him too. I know, but come on. Anyway, sorry, um, uh, but yeah, no, no, it, Did a great job. Did a great job. I don't want to take anything away from Marco Poirier. He definitely has a path here. But I think 
there's going to be too much for Vic. I don't think Vic's going to go for takedowns. He doesn't typically, although he showed us, uh, you know, <laughs> he scores his first official takedown against Abel Trujillo. Granted, I think he had Trujillo a bit compromised um, in his last fight where I did call James Vic uh, in the third round uh, submission, and he ended up getting it. Uh, and I didn't call Darius. I just, that was my third round flyer, and uh, I had a feeling it was going to be by submission. The volume striking was going to open it up. Uh, might be a little harder to submit Poyo Reyes than people may suspect. I just think that Vic is going to have to, again, kind of the scenario I just laid out, the thought process behind Trujillo. I just think Vic's going to have to overwhelm him first and hurt him because I don't think he's going to tire him or mentally break him like arguably Trujillo may or may not have, right? Um, so, he's, yeah, it's just going to come down to he's going to have to hurt him. Uh, this is, could be an entertaining scrap. It could be a lot closer than we think because, again, just by nature of Poyo Reyes being harder to get out of there than we think, having the intangible of knockout power and a clear path to hit the overhead looming head of James Vick. And, yeah, so, so I mean, that's going to be there. I think it's going to be a fun one. I got a little scared to play Vick. I, I played him in some of them parlays, but not a lot, to be honest. Um, I'm going to sit back and enjoy this one. All right, backtrack. Jessica Aguilar, Courtney Casey. I, I was... I was big on Courtney Casey coming into this one. She's still the pick, not as high coming out of this one. Um, I mean, by all means, right? She should win this. Jessica Aguilar, you know, 35, uh, one fight in the last two and a half to three years, did not look good last time out. Although she was also coming out of a layoff then, fighting, you know, uh, Gadelia in Brazil, um, possibly pre Usada. Although, you know, it looked like the drug testing may have affected her and. Again, sorry for saying that. You barely hear me throw those accusations on here. But <sighs> this is the eye test, but me, you know what rings true to me? The voice test. Yeah, when uh, I want to be mean, but yeah, when your voice sounds a certain way, I'm just going to leave it at that because I'm sure she's really nice. I'm sure she's a really nice girl. Um, when your voice sounds a certain way and you go look back and you know, there's the eye test and these certain things like. You can kind of tell when someone's been doing something and not, and there's always that weird adjusting period. And, wow, I'm really being sumptuous. I apologize, Jessica Aguilar, or anybody listening who's friends with her. I'm sure she's a really sweet person. But there is just, from the, you know, the age, which is, in my opinion, just as rude to talk to, point to when you're talking about a female or you know, a fighter, you know. Um, but but these, all these intangibles, it just points to why the performance, you know, um, should be tempered and what you're going to expect. That said, she took a beating from Claudia Gajelia and came back and had her strongest round in the third round, landing leg kicks. You know, Aguilar shifts really well off her right hand. You know, I don't want to condemn her off of that performance. I don't think that was her technically. Her as a, forget the rude assumptions, which again, I apologize that I just made. Forget those aside. She's a skilled martial artist and I don't feel her... Part, the part of her that that is that skilled martial artist, I don't feel that was able to come out. Um, I feel if it does come out, um, she's going to be able to pose some problems on paper for Courtney Casey, which is why I'm still picking Casey, but why I said in the beginning I'm less confident about Casey. I could see Aguilar landing leg kick, shifting off her right hand, and Courtney, Courtney Casey kind of has that issue where, you know, she... She's, she's not afraid to scrap, and she can be effective. She can crack girls and has cracked girls with, with all limbs on the feet at all ranges. But being consistent and consistently more specifically, consistently using her reach is not, has not been something that she's been able to, to do, you know, beat the word consistently there. But, yeah, and um, 
that's what worries me a bit. But overall, I like her ground game. Even though the wrestling is troubling, I could see Jessica Aguilar getting takedowns against the fences. That's where you know Jessica Aguilar typically likes to work from. Although she can, you know, she can do do it out in the open as well. But but yeah, I, I could see her, you know, getting her up against the fence and working that. That said, you know, Courtney Casey's super active, is not going to let her rest. One of those few people were from the back. I give her a lot of credit. Where just by even if she's not getting the submissions, elbows to doing damage frustrating the opponent and failed submissions and the mixture of set elbows just making the opponent work and tire really pay massive dividends when you commit and sell out to it and um courtney casey does that and i think she's going to be able to do that to jessica aguilar she's fighting you know in her home at least where she you know played soccer at college um in texas i mean she played soccer in el paso this is dallas i don't know the geography is obviously not the same, but 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 she's in Texas, and um, and yeah, uh, I, I I think she takes this one. I put her maybe in a parlay, maybe two, but I definitely pump the brakes on Casey because again, you gotta see where Aguilar is at. Uh, despite the time off, she is at ATT, which is arguably the best female stable, the Jackson Wink of female stables right now. She's training with. Amazing girls. I'm sure she's she's really really well prepared and and is well adjusted. Uh, again, apologies for the uh, for the. Uh, I, I guess I'm not. I'm clearly not trying to sugarcoat my words today, so I apologize, Jessica Aguilar, for those assumptions there. But just giving my analysis for what what the eyes see. All right, next one. Uh, David Branch versus Christoph Yoko. Um, David Temple, uh, shout out to David Temple, UFC betting sharks. Shout out to the UFC betting sharks. Wanted me to break this fight down, so uh, I said I'll be breaking it down on the podcast. And uh, I'm breaking it down now. So yeah, David Branch, who I feel is very underrated, uh, going against Christoph Yoko, who I feel also is underrated, but getting his shine more. Um, I essentially think you know, David Branch got really good boxing. Uh, good length, but I think a mobile southpaw is going to give him problems. Not traditionally gone against a lot of southpaws. Uh, Branch is durable, so you know even if Yoko is able to land clean like he did against uh, McCrory, who you know clearly may have had some chin issues of his own there. Uh, so not that you should look too into that, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, you know. It's hard to see either of these guys finishing each other. David Branch is a savvy veteran, but I do think. Mobile southpaw is going to give him problems, you know. Excuse me, when Branch has fought southpaws in the past, you'll see him regularly give out the outside foot uh, position, which, again, um, I know is not, like, a, an end-all, be-all, and I'm one of those people who don't like to, you know, I like gray area, I don't like black and white, but that is it is important. It is important for the basic mechanics of an arsenal. Um, it doesn't have to be, but for the way in which the majority of people throw, it is important, especially if you have a guy like Christoph Yoko, who really emphasizes upon it and works upon those angles that that foot position gives you. So, if he doesn't shore that up and nip that in the butt real quick, Yoko is going to have what I feel is an advantage on the feet, a slight advantage, a little bit wider of an advantage there. I also feel that Yoko is going to be able to di dictate wrestling terms. David Branch obviously can wrestle, can grapple. But 
you know, Cole just has that athleticism and scrambling ability from that break dancing. You look early in his career. Um, I remember re- noting this in my, my, my breakdown and write up of his fight with Scott Askham, like back in 2015, was that. You look at Yoko and like his just you could really I just one thing I pointed out I, I pointed to his break dancing and uh, when I was giving examples of him in certain scramble scenarios and it's only gotten better since he's working with American Top Team because now he's like incorporating wrestling fundamentals to where he was able to navigate tough situations with Talis Leites you know landing in that off the hip toss into that almost crucifix position floating on top knowing when the appropriate time to bail and when you know a guy like Latez can get too deep on those deep halves and how to shut that down if he's trying to get deep on those deep halves um really really impressed with Yoko the last time out uh, I know I've picked against him a couple times, but believe me, it's not because I disrespected the guy. It was just matchups where I, I, I wasn't quite sold on certain aspects, and he just keeps showing up every aspect. So it's really hard to go against him here. He wasn't a piece for my parlay, but he's in that like second tier of guys I've played. So he's in a couple of my plays. Um, but but I played him straight up and put him just in a couple parlays. In other words, I didn't really play much else because again, you know I don't know if he's going to get a, a stoppage, a decision, and um, you know Branch, it's not an end all be all matchup. You know where it's it's it's, it's a sure shot. Nothing's a sure shot, obviously, but where it's going to be a recommended piece for my parlay. In other words, you know, not quite there. Uh, so so yeah, that that's uh. That's Yoko, and the next fight is the last fight on the fights to avoid, although we're not done with the tight fights yet, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that is Chaz Skelly versus Jason Knight. I love both these guys. You all know I've been a long-time fan of Chaz Skelly. Uh, as an awkward grappler, as a guy who appreciates wrestling, as a guy who appreciates funk-style wrestling and 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 that you know almost funk-style grappling, if you will, hybrid catch wrestling, who Chaz Skelly has uh, worked with uh coaches of mine in the past um big fan of him but that's not why i picked him here i do think he can win this fight but it's a void because it's close man i was back and forth i'm a huge you want to talk about getting you know becoming fans of this guy you know chad skelly might have to move over for jason knight this, i keep becoming a bigger fan of this guy each time out son of a bitch you know gets me all teary-eyed with his post-fight press where he his, on his last fight after he beat caceres and he uh gives a prayer to his dad who like, died like a year before and, you know, Hick Diaz, man, I think Hick Diaz is going to come out and, and, you know, do the damn thing. And it's so endearing, the endearing redneck, you know. Yeah, that's what, maybe that's what I'll call him. I like the Hick Diaz, but the endearing redneck, man. I love that dude, Jason Knight. And this is back take ability is so wicked. And against a guy, you know, like Chaz Skelly, who's great in the scramble, and I give him an edge in the scramble, it's just that. Knight is more quick and athletic in into where he goes. If he misses that back take where he weaves his leg through for the body lock because he goes right to the body. Oh my! I don't want to. He's my canary in the coal mine. I'm watching that fucking left knee or just all the knees of Jason Knight. Like he's got a lot of knee surgeries ahead of him. The way his leg dexterity is crazy, but the way his knees just swing in a sideways pendulum as a guy who currently has and has dealt with MCL, PCL, and ACL issues and both knees. I, I cringe just watching his transitions. I'm like excited, like that's a beautiful back to you, but I'm like uh, my knees are hurting watching him. Um, I could definitely see him get um, Skelly's back, but I could also see Skelly. Um, I could see him getting Skelly's back way more than Skelly getting Knight's back. The problem is, I think Skelly he'll probably lose the round, but I think he can survive. If Knight gets on his back with his defense and the way Knight goes about things. Knight's crafty, relentless. 
technical, all the check marks, which is why, and he doesn't give up on it. He sells out, um, which is why he's so dangerous in there. But the reason why I think Skelly is more dangerous because no one sells out harder than Chaz Skelly. Um, those squeezing drills, I've done those same drills. I know exactly what he's talking about after practice. It's brutal. But I also know that same principle, and it's something that Eddie Bravo talks about, something I've had previous coaches and myself talk about. You don't have to get under the skin, you, uh, under the chin. You just squeeze from that rear naked position, and you're going to hacksaw hacksaw them <laughs> it's gonna they're gonna they're, they compress their jaw make them tap to pain or just choke them through uh, you know, choke them through the pressure it's it's you, you wouldn't believe you know and um and yeah i think uh chas kelly is the more diverse scrambler he's the more diverse grappler the more diverse submission artist the better wrestler who he had weird awkward entries wasn't your typical wrestling entries so i wouldn't um I normally wouldn't, you know, put as much weight into it, but he's made active improvements these last couple camps and sharpening up. Because you gotta remember, Skelly was taking a bunch of fights last minute and short notice to get in the UFC. He set that record while he just got in the UFC, and then he had the shuffle of camps into Tame Takedown, which was great. He had that one, you know, that that um, uh, cash that submission prop for me against uh, Kevin Souza, you know. But right after that fight, Team Takedown, um, literally right after that fight. Maybe even during behind the scenes, team takedown dissipates. So you have that disarray. He didn't have a camp for that Darren Elkins fight. Uh, he trained like three weeks. That's it. He in like garages. Like it just was like a horror story. And uh, he wants that fight again. He took the you know, ass kicking like a man, you know, uh, publicly. But really shows that he wants the fight. Not the type of guy to make excuses. So when he says and gives the exact examples, I believe him. So it's very deceptive when you look at. Skelly's record, which is deceptively good in its own right as it is, but I believe it's even better than that. Um, I believe that Knight has improved so much on the feet, really blew me away. I was real high on Dan Hooker, and even though Dan Hooker, uh, I think, has a little bit of performance anxiety, doesn't perform to his potential, plus I think he had a bad performance that night, which is probably due to why he's moving up to 155, because he probably should have been there in the first place. I think he had a bad wake up for that fight, taking nothing away from Jason Knight. But again, there's a lot of those intangibles at play there. Nevertheless, Jason Knight's striking uh, improvements need to be noted. And I do believe he has, I do give him at least the edge on paper over Chaz Skelly, who, you know, I will say this, even against Kevin Souza, I was saying he has a really underrated right hand. He's able to hit Kevin Souza with it a bunch of times. And it's pretty heavy. Like, you see guys get stunned from it. Like, Chaz Skelly does not look strong, but he's deceptively stronger in the clinch. And he's also a deceptively strong puncher. And Jason Knight is his common culprit because he's so aggressive is that right hand. And what does Chaz Skelly parlay his right hand to? His shot. And that's the two things Jason Knight's been open for. His shot's coming in. And counter right hands coming in, so it is because it's because of his aggression. You see, Jason, he just marches and talks to guys, and that's great. It's entertaining. I love it. It makes for fun fights. But I think he's going to be giving Chaz Skelly the beats he needs. It's going to be a tight. It's going to be close. I don't know if it's going to, you know, I, I these guys are finishers, but they're also both so tough. So it's hard to even say this one goes the distance or doesn't go to bet overs, unders, or any of those props. I stayed away from this one, man. This is another one. Just just whatever you're doing good that night, you're doing bad, it doesn't matter. Cut cut your losses. Just sit this fight out. Enjoy it. It's gonna be you know, the only maybe fight of the night, maybe that's the one prop bet if you're looking for a bet to put on this one, you know. But but that's it. The, stay away from this fight. But uh 
But yeah, on, uh, and you know what? And on that beat, we are going to take a break. That's right. But Dan, it's not the main card yet. It's okay. We're going to treat Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poy as if it is the main card. Um, I, I need a break to, uh, you know, refill my glass and, and, and maybe uh, empty my internal glass. Sorry for that visual. But yes, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be breaking down the headlining prelim and main card of UFC 211 right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Fumando marijuana. Right here in the Protect Connect podcast for the UFC 211 breakdown, which is about to have an intervention because, yes, if you have not uh, sensed already in the tone of my voice that there is a different tone to the podcast, is because I didn't take a normal break. Yes, that movie I was talking about going to see. Well, sure enough, the podcast somehow went from like 20 minutes to like 53 minutes in the blink of an eye. So, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, time snuck up on me. <laughs> And it was time for uh, to go see the movie uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So now I'm going to make you suffer <laughs> through a quick little recap. No spoilers. Don't worry. Keep your hands off the fast forward button unless you just want to get to the breakdown, which will be coming up soon. This won't. This actually won't take long. But yeah, it's funny. Um, <laughs> time slipped by and I'm back after a movie. And after some whiskey. And after some beer, I'm back after a movie. That's the point. All right, it was a movie that a movie that might have served alcohol. All right, I mean, <laughs> might have had a head start before I left for the movie. But we're here now. That's the important part. Oh boy. Oh great. God damn it. Can we just get one breakdown where this guy's not drunk? Relax. Relax. We're gonna get to the <laughs> we're gonna get to the breakdown. <laughs> but uh, no, Guardians of the Galaxy was awesome, and I hate spoilers, so I won't be that guy. But um. I'll just say a couple things in vagueness and in quickness. Um, went and we were running a little bit, a little bit behind because I was like, "Oh my god, we, 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 I, I, my fault, of course, because because of the podcast." And it's okay because like I don't like seeing previews anyways. I'm like an anti-preview guy. Okay, like uh, the first half of the podcast, I believe I made an M Night Shyamalan quip, quip where I kind of shit on Unbreakable, and I actually like Unbreakable. In fact, if we did top five movie trailers. Unbreakable's trailer is there because it's the way a movie trailer or, you know, movie preview for you normal folk. Um, it's the way previews and trailers should be. You have to get them interested, but don't show them too much, you know? Um, you know, there was a Star Wars preview showed way ridiculously too much. And I'm just like, oh, great. That's awesome. You know, um, and there was an alien preview that we saw at the movie. Right. And then, and, and it showed way, sorry, I'm talking away from Mike. Some kind of, motioning to my girlfriend over there because we're 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 joking i'm like the alien it showed the alien for christ's sake you know like speaking of star wars i always point to you know star wars episode two and castaway that should nail about all the de demographics and everything in between worst trailers ever right like like renowned blockbuster you know as far movies as far as box office is concerned but fucking castaway like you show the whole damn movie we know he gets off the island we know he gets home and finally when we get to the part like the most enjoyable part sadly is when the guy has ptsd like the only relatable part where like millions of americans suffer we're like yay it's entertaining and you stop the fucking movie we're like what the fuck dude Anyways, and then he said that was Castaway, and then Star Wars Episode Two, they show Yoda lightsaber battling, and I, and I, I, I 
I champion that one. I'm not a Star Wars nerd by any stretch, although I do love me some Star Wars. But I will say, I avoided the trailers for that reason. Again, I'm, old Dan Tom went to film school. He's a little, little passionate about this subject, in case you can't tell. With a little, a couple drinks in him. But uh, yeah, trailers ruin everything. And it's kind of privy to the conversation we had in the first half of the podcast. So I am digressing, but not really. I'm also kind of bringing it back full circle when we were talking about... Having, you know, the narrative kind of ruining the experience and your perception um, of a product that is upcoming, right? And this is kind of the same thing where, like, I had no idea Yoda picks up a damn lightsaber. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? First of all, I thought Christopher Lee should have been dead, like, years ago. And he's in this damn movie, and then here comes Yoda, and it was crazy. And, okay, maybe it was... It was crazy for a 17-year-old Dan Tom. All right, relax, relax. Maybe not 32-year-old Dan Tom now, but back then it was pretty crazy. Anyways, the trailers show way goddamn too much, and it was funny because we actually like were coming. We only missed like one trailer, and now I will I will break my rule because you know watching fights for 50 or 60 hours. Like this is probably like my fifth movie since 2015 that I've seen in theaters. So I don't. I've lost my privileges of calling myself a film buff or, or a film connoisseur of any any high hopes or high tastes, and I, I don't make it out recreationally enough to to complain about it. So I actually I'm opposite. Now I will watch the trailers just because I don't make it out enough, and I want something to excite me because I'm so jaded with the state of you know film in the last decade. Oh, here he goes, getting all hipster. But really. Uh, you know, so I was open to watch the previews, but we missed one, and it was funny, and it was, it was. I th- I'm pretty sure it was fucking Transformers, but at the end it says Michael Bay film, and it gets quiet. <laughs> I feel bad. I feel like I said it a little loud, but I go to my girlfriend. So this is Michael Bay, you know, coming soon, and it gets quiet, and you hear, you just hear me go, "Oh, sweet, we didn't miss anything." <laughs> <laughs> and if you heard any of the after parties, uh, one of the after parties at least before, or you know me personally, you know I got some opinions on Michael Bay. In fact, uh, I had a recent conversation on Twitter with a man from Bloody Elbow at uh, Zane Simon. We had a we had a funny uh, little back and forth about The Rock, which is ironically like my favorite um, Michael Bay movie because it's still all over the place, but the racism's consistent. I'm enjoying gutting you, boy. Anyways, we get to the movie, and the movie's great. I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, I will say, uh, here's how much I'm not going to give a spoiler. I'm not even going to like fully reference the article, which in itself was not a spoiler. But I did see an article about Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and about um, a character and issues with it. And let's just say it's a type of character that most movies not could, but just would... 99.99% out of the time exploit. And I will say, it did not exploit any cute characters. It was really good because I'm like Mr. Contrarian. I hate all that typical BS. But goddamn. I, again, I'm not a big comic book movie guy, especially now. But I love James Gunn. I mean, I love James Gunn and Sean Gunn who killed it. The Gunn Brothers. Um, I've been following them since 2009, mind you, to the point where like James Gunn says, I read Astrius Plop. I'm reading that right now. I would go, I went and bought Astrius Plop and I had to read what he was reading. And, uh, just been a fun, you know, you know, into movies and directors, all that stuff, obviously. But, but, but yes, that's how I, I discovered, uh, James Gunn and, you know, kind of a, more of a cult guy, especially back then, but a fan of his. Glad to see him do well. Glad to see him get the baton of commercialism and kick it right in the ass. Um, was a great movie. It could have went the Jar Jar Binks exploitative route, and it did not. Um, and yeah, everything was concise. It didn't it didn't abuse any of the genuine qualities or qualities in general 
um, of the movie. So there's my Guardians of the Galaxy review. I hijacked the fuck my own podcast, so I apologize. We're going to get back to the breakdown where we left off hours ago at the end of the prelims for Dustin Poirier versus Eddie Alvarez. Of course, as you know, I am a huge Eddie Alvarez fan. I, I took him against Conor McGregor, and I was one of those people just being embarrassed as he, as he just got as he just got smashed in New York City by Mr. McGregor. Um, you know, but I stand by my pick. He he's seven and two, including that loss to McGregor against Southpaws in the last ten years of his career, and that 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 other the two. So the other loss uh, was. Um, wow, I was going to say you should have called me. That's fucking terrible. Dan, late, tired. Are we ever going to get a regular podcast? Shh. It was the uh, long pants guy. Wow, Dan, you even bought yourself a disparaging comment to buy yourself time, and you still fail to <laughs> produce a name. Wow, why am I blanking on this? The guy with the bright pants. Um, it will come back to me. Anyways, it was a submission loss. It had nothing to do with the guy being a southpaw. Wow, I'm really embarrassed that I don't. Uh, this name's not coming to me. I obviously know who this person is. Name's just not coming to me. Don't drink and get your sleep, kids. That's the moral of this story. But Eddie Alvarez usually does well. You know, even though he's a boxer that doesn't really particularly rely on his jab, he likes that kind of darting right hand. And the good thing about a darting right hand is when you dart with the right hand, it means you are kind of launching to your left and throwing your right. So your body, your head, your general target, your general target is not at a place uh, to be hit typically right in front of your opponent, which is a good thing. But your right hand launches straight forward down that center strike lane to hit your opponent. One of Eddie Alvarez's most patent moves. The good thing is when you face a southpaw, that motion inherently gets you that outside foot position, which we talked about earlier in the podcast. And yes, again, um, it's not a it's not an end all be all. You know, the outside foot position isn't going to mean like you're impervious to you know cancer bullets and all that good stuff. No, but. It's a nice starting point. The problem is because Eddie is always kind of, you know, launching to his left, whether he's facing a southpaw or orthodox fighter, um, you know, Eddie is always kind of dropped in the beginning of his fights. It almost was like a, a point of comedy if you listen to like kind of Jimmy Smith's commentary through his Bellator run. But that's because Eddie is constantly launching to his left. Well, if he goes into his left, it means he's going into his opponent's right. That's right, kids. And again, I don't mean that demeaning. It's just my, my teacher of teaching kids classes for a long, long time. She's kind of coming out. But yes, he's going to launch right into their right. And that's going to run him into right hands no matter what the stance is. And that's kind of why I was confident with McGregor because, you know, many good things you could say about McGregor, much less good things you could say about McGregor striking, you know, even... After the you know additions that he showed, which I probably should have you know paid more attention to in hindsight, hindsight at UFC 202 and his rematch with Nate Diaz, as far as using his right hand because you know he was relying more on slipping to the inside and doing all these other things that kind of traditionally troubled him with the southpaw stance, or at least the first time around and in previous bouts before that, um, you know. McGregor was able to use, even though it was left hand that was still ultimately doing damage, even even at 205. At the most recent iteration of McGregor that we've seen, um, it was the lack of his right hand just generally overall that kind of I guess fueled a lot of my confidence in that pick. As as wrong as it, you know it obviously was in hindsight, um, but yeah, uh, that's the thing about Poirier. Poirier, he's developed kind of those you know inside angles and counter lefts like McGregor. Obviously not as good as McGregor because that's obviously not even Poirier style, but he has shown glimpses of these countering abilities. Poirier, though, however, throughout all his iterations, has an 
excellent and accurate right hook, both offensively and off the counter. That's what I don't like for Eddie Alvarez. Now you couple that with Poirier's improvement to his his boxing game since, excuse me, not just moving up to 155, which is true and often point to do, but since he moved to American top team, we're seeing him take slight angles and shifts and, you know, there's, there's, there's good examples of this everywhere dating back to his first 155 fights or that first the first return to 155 fights against you know Carlos Diego Fajeda or Yancy Medeiros but I really look at that Bobby Green fight um and Bobby Green who you know different style of Eddie Alvarez but although was actually using some of those those right-handed darts and and, and similar shifts that I was talking about but no, it was Poirier that the one was the one that was punctuating with his shifts, was stalking, going southpaw to orthodox seamlessly, and and really off of that right hand, kind of conducting traffic, um, similar to T.J. Dillashaw, different style overall, but in the sense of conducting traffic and allowing the right hand be that blending point of when you're switching your your stance. You know, like for example, um, as a southpaw. When he does counter with the right hand, he does something I like where you'll, you'll step back into an orthodox stance. Maybe not only you'll step back, which is, you know, kind of evading your head back out of range, although you can still get clipped that way. He'll kind of do it, you know, a little more. Uh, Rosnaman uses a similar way where they kind of almost do a roll as they step back and it kind of rolls under left hands, left hooks, and allows you to set up your still power, you know, powerful right hand in return. Um, and he was just hitting all those types of angles, and that's going to be really good against a guy like Eddie Alvarez, who kind of will hang out um, back by the cage when he's not pressuring. And he's pressuring a lot less as far as striking is concerned, uh, aside from his last fight uncharacteristically, which got him caught over and over again by McGregor. The only time he's really pressured now in this recent iteration of Alvarez where he's wrestling. He's wrestling guys really hard. And I think that's what he's going to do here. When I look at the footage, you know, he's training with Edgar and all in that whole camp up there, which is good. At least I feel for Alvarez. I feel like that's a camp, that camp is really good for him. Part of the reason why I was high on Alvarez and picked him against Dos Anjos and, uh, rightly and picked him wrongly even against McGregor. But um, it, he's, he looks like he's spending a lot of time at Rutgers, and even the MMA fighters are training with are you know very wrestling based guys. Um, you know, safety after you know losses where you could be embarrassing or matches where you really just need to get back on the horse. All these typical signs are pointing that Eddie, in other words, is going to wrestle. That is his pathway. Um, if the dog comes out on him, you know, Poirier, so live and die by the sword. Like I could totally see Eddie Alvarez. He has the skill, and with that chemistry that I just mentioned. I could totally see him, you know, putting uh, Dustin Poirier out and, and and taking him out here. But I do think Eddie is going to wrestle. The problem is Poirier wrestling and boxing has been the things that improved most in this recent iteration uh, since moving to American Top Team. And like I pointed out, stylistically on the feet, I don't think it's good. I have Poirier here. I was just so nervous. This was almost on my fights to avoid. It was probably the next one in line to be so just because there's just so much intangibles at play. Both guys are so good, and both guys are so vulnerable. As much as we love them, you know they're 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 very vulnerable. I think Alvarez has been stunned, stopped, or dropped in eight out of his last ten fights. And even though Poirier's chin showed actually a huge upgrade since moving to one fifty five, yeah, he did get stopped two you know two fights ago. Granted, that shot by Michael Johnson was that was perfect. That was going to stop anybody. Anyways, that was a really long winded. Uh, 
breakdown, but I felt that fight deserved it. And the safe play is uh, staying away. But no, no, if you really do want something to play, though, I'll give you something that I did play. The only thing I played on that fight, I maybe put it in one far fun parlay and played it straight up, was minus 105. This fight does not go the distance. Again, Poirier is going to be living and dying by the shield, even though I favor him to, to win. If he does win, it's probably 70-30 that he gets it done inside the distance with this stylistic matchup given to him. And even though Eddie's intents are to wrestle and win a decision, are his, probably his best chance and probably his intention, if I were to have to guess, again, Poirier is so live and die by the sword, and Eddie is always just one exchange from the dog coming out that, again, this plan could go right or wrong in many ways. I don't think it's going to see the final horn. All right, next fight. We're finally to the main card. Uh, Sergio Pettis versus Henry Cejudo. Now, this is a fight where I initially came in leaning towards Cejudo. He's the justified favorite. But goddamn, is the line inflated. Now, before I talk about the line, let me just first state that the line... I'm. Uh, you should know by now, I'm not a person who bets because of the line is off. Although, it did, it did fuel me here. Um, in fairness, I do say in my breakdown, you know... And this is another thing when I was talking about earlier about people asking before and, and my mistake of answering when, you know, when it's something that people can read. I mean, I take the time to do all this research. I take the time to write it, edit it, put it out, at least give it a read. Um, you know, some people said they were surprised to see this, that I, you know, I, I was surprised too. But the thing is, um, I feel I give a pretty fair layout of this matchup. And it's funny because not just for this matchup or other matches, people say, ah, why did you pick that guy? I'm like, well, I don't know. I only wrote a thousand words on it. Um, if that, if that, you know, you read the thousand words and it still, <laughs> still doesn't give me an answer as to why my opinion is the way it is, then feel free to ask. And I'm just kidding. I don't want to come off like a dick here. Feel free to ask anyways. But, but the point is, um, even when I don't pick somebody, I feel like, <laughs> The reason why maybe the, I'm a little sensitive to those because it's like I actually will make a, a good case for the guy I, I pick against. Not only will I make a good case for them, I would argue that I make a better case for the guy I pick against than people coming at me who picked that guy in the first place, if that makes sense. And uh, I state why Cejudo is the favorite. You know, is the favorite. I state that even though I picked against Cejudo against Benavidez, I had him winning that fight. But in rewatching that fight, it wasn't as clear as I thought it was. Um, I might not have yelled robbery, but I felt like I was pretty darn close the night of. Wasn't as bad in retrospect when I went back and watched it. That being said, um, Henry Sudo showed the improvements that were impressive, but not just impressive. They were the improvements that he needed to show. I mean, he's 30 years old, but it's an older 30. It's a, I've been wrestling all my life, and I probably came into the sport with back injuries 30, which is why... Henry Cejudo probably will reluctantly wrestle only really to win rounds or defend himself throughout most of his MMA career, dating back to the uh, names he fought in Legacy to the ones he fought in the UFC. Um, and, uh, you know, granted, you know, he showed great improvements. I think it might have been that CSA camp was doing really wonders with a lot of people these past couple of years. Problem is, with old Cejudo's Instagram, not only was he not with CSA for this camp, he hasn't been with them since. And I'm sure he's doing great at that fight-ready Arizona back at his old camp. In fact, it looks like he, he's quelled some of his old problems as far as diet, weight cutting. You know, he's on a nutrition program looking in good weight. That was a that was a big issue that kind of made me um, weary of betting him even before his battle with Demetrius Johnson. And uh, it looks like he's addressed these things, which are good. The problem is 
Sergio Pettis, it's one of those things, again, narrative, where we can get hyped by a guy, and just as we all got hyped by Pettis, um, people got un- unhyped by him real fast, and justifiably so. He definitely went through his own version of a fall, but one Pettis brother is not the other, and there's this kind of, you know, the same thing with the positive, where it's like, you can't say anything bad about, you know, Yager Rodriguez or John Jones or fill in the blank of, you know, hyped, quote-unquote, amazing fighter. Same goes when... You have a fighter that ends up on the the, the Gen Pops uh, shit list, so to speak. And all of a sudden, you can't say anything good about that fighter. He's brother with Anthony Pettis. Don't you know Anthony Pettis had his cars bombed? You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I actually watch footage. And if you actually do want to listen to the interviews and gossip, you'll hear, even from Anthony Pettis' own mouth, they're actually very fucking different in personality. In fact, Pettis is admittedly, Anthony Pettis is admittedly talking about how Sergio is just so mentally strong. For example, in recent interviews about returning to Dallas, the last place of his loss, you know, one of the most devastating losses that started the trajectory for Anthony Pettis. Doesn't seem to bother Sergio none. Um, and Sergio is a competitor, man. He was a young kid and who you just kind of heard stories about, you know, who was the high school brother and still in high school. Anthony Pettis was in the WEC and Anthony would talk about him in interviews and it was kind of a, a goof. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's like 2009 or 2010 and I'm watching my buddy Jimmy Jones. Shout out to Jimmy Jones from Extreme Couture, uh, who was undefeated at the time. No, no, he was maybe like six and one, but he lost to Chris Beal and, I say loss in air quotes because it was a fucking horseshit decision. And I've been fading Chris Beal and making money fucking since then, by the way. No offense to Chris Beal. Very beautiful story, but that was a bullshit decision. Anyways, my buddy, my man Jimmy Jones, is next thing you know, he's fighting in Superior Cage Combat. Same card where Steve Lopez, or Steve Lopez sadly got knocked out by Justin Buckholtz in what was the third front kick knockout of that year. That's right, the two happened with... Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort, then Leota Machida, Randy Couture. Well, the third one happened in a Spirit Cage Combat show here in Las Vegas. At that same show was a young Sergio Pettis. I think it was only his third or fourth fight, and whew, he really he really took it to my homie Jimmy. And I love Jimmy, man. I've known Jimmy since like oh three, oh four, and go way back since before that guy even became a. a Touched an MMA mat, and it's one of the you know one of the guys that got me to Extreme Couture, but uh, in, into Extreme Couture, but but yeah, man. As much as I hated watching my friend get beat, I was like, man, this Sergio Pettis kid is legit, and you know, I was joking, <laughs> half joking, on the cage side or so, and I said he's the A side of the Pettis brothers, but but I do believe so. You know, he he uh, he translates the Taekwondo and that point karate styling much better. He 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 applies it in that pull and return fashion where. He's hitting in straight lines where Suhudo is still, even though he was improved last time out against Benavides, where again, I thought he won. He was still circular. He was aggressive. He was getting countered by Benavides, who has always been sloppy and awkward, but effective. But again, I'm a big fan of Benavides. Now he's, you know, training at Extreme Couture, though. I, I don't even like to associate myself. Not that I don't like to. I don't even feel like I can because my ass hasn't like I've been there, like feels like in a whole month now, which is ridiculous for me. But, um, you know, Benavidez has been there and, and they're, 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 you know, training with uh, Robert Follis, coach who I love and respect and work with. So I'm not, you know, trying to uh, shit near where I eat or much less fighters that I've always loved and respect. Always loved and respect Benavidez. But the dude, you know, it's always been kind of awkward, made it work. But as the sport progresses, we're kind of seeing a thing. I hope he gets a shot soon, but uh, I'm not trying to go too down that, go too far down or, or 
unfairly criticize them, but I'm just trying to make a larger point here that um, even with the things you can say about his technique and even with that not being Benavidez's best performance, because again, not taking anything away from Cejudo, I don't feel it was Benavidez's best performance. He was still able to counter him enough to get the decision. That's what was making the sways in the fight, whether it was the subtle um, chip aways that he was taking away, those hit points of, of Henry's energy, which, mind you, again, was improved, which was even more impressive for Benavides to do that because I don't think it was like typical like uh, Henry was slowing down because of the weight cut. I think it was because Benavides knows how to work the body and he was countering him well. And even if you don't get, you know, hit in the body, you get hit in the head. You're gonna your whole system's gonna kind of kind of slow down like a, a similar fatigue is gonna take effect to you. So I think that was the subtle inches that was going on that allowed Benavides to edge out those scorecards. I I I think I think you know Pettis is much cleaner than that. Um, his chin did worry me, but Benoit can crack, man. Benoit's cracked 135ers before he dropped down to 125, and we've seen Pettis take hard shots, even from John Moraga, who I've been harsh on as of late with his career, just seemed to take it just a shit, and is just not. That's really rough, but I mean, just you know, just. Aside from the third round of that last fight he was in, but you know, two fights before that just did not seem to care to be in there at all. I don't know what was going on with John Moraga. But the one thing you can't take away from John Moraga is his power. He's always had that. He was one shot away from dethroning Mighty Mouse. Lest we forget. Right? It almost it felt like he just knocked him back into the cage with that right hand. Still remember where I was when I saw that. And he hit <laughs> Sergio Pettis with both hands. Especially come that third round. Pettis took it well. Pettis is always, you know, and I, and I explain in, I explain in uh, detail in my breakdown, Pettis has always been good at, you know, uh, uh, def- uh, def- defender-rated wrestling. He has a consistent underhook awareness, wrist control. You all know how much I preach hand fighting on here. Pettis fights them hands, and even when he's on his back, his wrist control is what helps him get sweeps and space to scramble back to his feet. He has a knack for sweeping and reversing position. And for someone like Cejudo, who is admittedly, not spend as much time working ground as he should have with whether it was CSA or Fight Ready. Not necessarily known for their ground, although CSA has some uh, may have some catch wrestling there. But um, yeah. Uh, but anyways, you know, it was something admittedly, admittedly not worked. I-, I think Sergio can surprise people with a how well he does and how much he could even test Cejudo. Both, even if Cejudo's on top two in the clinch, which is a safety zone for Cejudo. I mean, yes, he got you know dismantled by Demetrius Johnson there, but that's that's Demetrius Johnson. And uh, I think I'm still recording. Hold on one second. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pause for one second. And we're back. Sorry about that. I just had a warning pop. I wanted to make sure this thing was still recording, and I believe it was. Anyways, um, yeah, that was against Demetrius Johnson where he faltered inside the clinch. But, you know, that is Cejudo's safety zone, and you, you seldom see Sergio Pettis there in situations that don't behoove him. Um, and if you know what you're looking at, if you're not just judging an Olympian's an Olympian, a close to undefeated record is a close to undefeated record. Wrestling is wrestling. Pettis, brothers suck. Sergio, you know, looked goofy and wore stupid sunglasses and, you know, followed his brother's fashion maybe a little bit too much some of the times. He's got a funny-looking chin and jaw structure. Sure, you can, you can go ahead and decide a fight based on all these things, but the kid's got got fucking skill. Not only has he got skill, again, I'm not disparaging Anthony Pettis, but just to make a point, 
because if anything, I'm defending the Pettis brother narrative in a negative is that I do believe Sergio Pettis is the, the A side of that equation. Does that mean he's going to win here? Certainly not. But for four to one, that's way too much. And it looks like it's only growing. That's way too much to lay on a guy like Cejudo. Um, I do not. I, I feel like that line's inflate, inflated. I, I feel like Cejudo is the deserved favorite. I feel like he should have opened and still be the favorite. But the line is way too close. I'm not suggesting you jump off the cliff and take the dive with me. But I did put money where my mouth is on this one. Especially for that value, um, I think that the pull and return position can precision can earn Sergio Pettis a hard-fought decision. Um, again, not saying you need to agree with me. Not saying that Segudo shouldn't be the favorite, but I feel like I made a good case here, and I even really get down to the technics with examples and and, and uh, details in the breakdown. So, again. If these things surprise you, like I respond to other people, it surprises me too because it does. I I came in leaning towards Cejudo, but trust me, if if I'm picking a you know a three to one dog, there's there's usually a reason for that. And knock on wood, not saying this one's gonna come through, but those are usually my best plays. Um, we'll see though. We'll see. Uh, if guess what though, Cejudo wins. Guess whose parlay it affects? Not mine. So, moving on. Hopefully you didn't play that one too heavily, but maybe he will, and you can rub it in and be like, the deserving 4-1 to favorite one, bitch. What now? And I can be like, cool, man. Cool. <laughs> but, uh, all right, uh, next fight, Yair Rodriguez versus Frankie Edgar. Okay. This is one. This Here's one. This is this is Frankie. Frankie Edgar is the last, or, you know, one of two, I guess, last, yeah, technically. Uh, recommended pieces for the parlay, and you're getting him at, you know, probably lower now, but, oh, minus 135. Yeah, minus 135. Wow. That's what I got him for. That's that's pretty damn low. <sighs> this is the thing with this match. I could be completely wrong, but you know what I hate? I, 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 don't, I don't hate being wrong. You all know me. First of all, I got a pretty damn good record and good work ethic that I can firmly stand behind, but I... Don't care if I'm right. I don't care if I'm wrong. That's one thing I state all the time. What means more to me is if I give an accurate read, you know, on the fight, whether it's, you know, like uh, I used the example like the last podcast at the home Shevchenko, like that's the biggest compliment where it sounds like I, I wrote the summary before the fight happened, or even a fight where I got it wrong, like the Stipe Overeem, like I picked Overeem and I got it wrong, but I'm okay with getting it wrong because I picked Overeem because I was like, Overeem's got a body kick and Stipe's open his last days of kick defense. He's open to the body. Stipe mainly gets caught by left hands, which we'll get to later. And Overeem's got a good counter left hand. And Stipe turtles out the stand, which puts him open to guillotines. And that's Overeem's best submission. Well, guess what? Overeem hit him with a body kick. Stipe got annoyed and hurt by the body kick, came in, got hit with the counter left. And when he went to stand, he turtled to stand and almost got caught with a guillotine. So was my pick wrong? Fuck yeah, it was wrong. The first to admit it was wrong. But do I regret it? No. I fucking stand by that shit because the analysis was fucking right there. Right? Right? Anybody picking Stipe could could, could rub my, my face. Oh, you picked it wrong, but if you asked their breakdown of the fight, probably wasn't going to look like that. And they probably weren't giving Overeem the fair credit, at least he, he uh, deserved to get. Um, and that sounds like I'm a huge Overeem fan there, but that's just... 
for the point is, is why I bring that up. And that's what I kind of, you know, stinks about these matches like this. Like, for example, um, here's one that I wear. I was admittedly way off where I can't even, like, say, like, hey, I got the analysis right. Like, no, I was just way off. Like, Jimmy Manawa versus Corey Anderson. And that was one where, like, I actually came in favoring uh, Manawa. And I, I don't want to say I talked myself out of it because, again, the, I, I feel like I have a fair, firm process of analysis, uh, you know, through, analy- you know, uh, you know, analysis and uh, – <clears throat> Uh, you know, pragmatism involved in process and and things, but but yeah, you know, it, it almost feels like I almost you know talk myself out of certain ones, and you know, sure enough, I was dead wrong on that one, and but and what happened, you know, uh, Manoa, you know, KO'd Anderson, and, and I have no problem being wrong, but that one is kind of similar to what I'm talking about here, where if I'm wrong about Edgar and Yair, it sucks about being wrong about those ones because. I'm cool with people like on the internet, which everybody's been pretty cool, by the way. Y'all are fucking awesome. I know I, I I did some complaining and bitching and stuff, and hopefully it's not taken the wrong way. Hopefully the spirit of what I'm saying is coming through in the examples, because I I, I do genuinely enjoy all y'all reaching out. But uh, and and I can deal with criticism too, which again there hasn't been much, which is fucking surprising to be honest. I figured figured y'all be coming at me harder. And I can deal with I told you sowers, but the I told you sowers that bother me the most are the people that are like, the flashy KO guy got a flashy KO. I told you so. And you're like, I, I didn't learn nothing. Wait, 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 what? Manoa got a first round KO with a left hook? Oh my God, his record is like, surely not just mainly comprised of those. Wow, we learned so much. Wow, you really went on a limb, etc., etc. And again, I'm not trying to be a hater there. Like, again, that, that's not me, but... When it comes to those specific ones, ah, that that, that really you know, that really grinds my gears. And this is one of those ones where if I'm wrong here, and I'll present why I feel so strongly about it. This is not a hate toward Yair. I I'm a huge BJ Penn fan, and I didn't give BJ Penn a shot in hell, and I praise Yair Rodriguez. So there's no hate there, believe me. But I do hate me some hype, though, man. Oh, I, I do, I do. And I hate when we can't see the forest through the trees. And again, am I saying that Yair is not great? No, I think he is. Am I saying Yair doesn't have the potential to be great? No, he absolutely does. Is he not athletic? Uh, of course he is. Can he win this fight? Of course. Am I not impressed by fight? Of course. But what are we really talking about here? You know, and again, I don't want Yair to change his style. He just shouldn't have to be a boxer. He shouldn't have to go on an outbox Frankie Edgar. That would be a stupid game plan for him to do. But let's not act like the guy's shown us anything. Sure, he can look good on pads, which, by the way, um, big credit to Yair's uh, striking coach. You know, most of his improvements and things I've criticized on him, he's actually shown improvements. He's actually using his left side because where I was getting at with my criticism there was Yair barely clocks 10 strikes off his left side per round including kicks not including ground strikes in that equation then 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 it skyrockets um but he barely clears you know any left hands and now you know he threw left kicks against bj he's throwing much improved left crosses against caceres and i think that's due to you know valley flow striking mike valley over there um you know who's doing a good job but outside of that as good as he looks on paths as good as that coach is with him until someone brings it in the octagon, people, like, I, I don't see why we're all of a sudden, we're so damn sure that we can just, we're all of a sudden sure he's the second coming of Christ where we just tear down anybody who has something negative to say about him. And 
it's it's it really it really blows me away. Now, by the way, speaking of not being a hater, I see a lot of people who are for Frankie Edgar and or just don't like Yair getting on Yair for the press and stuff. And I haven't seen all of it, so maybe my opinion will change. I reserve that right, but I will say um, the kind of coming, you know, the attitude and stuff. I could totally see why that would make people not like Yair more, but it actually makes me like Yair more. Like I dig that fucking like. If he wants to go with that, like, character of, like, hey, what's up? Like, I'm going to be the fucking macho Latin guy. Like, very terrible stereotype I just did there. Forgive me. But just, like, this whole little like, swagger he's got. Like, I fucking dig that shit. Like, I've I worked with, you know, guys in the construction site that had that fucking just kind of just fucking uh, fire to him. You know what I'm saying? And it definitely can rub people the wrong way for sure. But whether that's who Yair is really is or it's just uh, a little thing like i actually don't mind that at all i don't at all do it man go for it like i'm not again i'm not fucking hating on the guy i'm just trying to calm expectation and even there's people that i really respect out there who really like him i'm not trying to say don't like him i'm not trying to say i'm not trying to swage you from your, your your opinions but it's just like the guy throwing flashy kicks who hasn't been taxed yet who's been pampered you know, we need to keep that in perspective. The same thing, you know, happened with John Jones. And John Jones ended up being one of the greatest fighters that we've ever known. Ever. But that doesn't change the fact he was fighting fucking deaf guys and janitors. And I'm like, come on. Come on. Like, I'm sure he's great. I'm sure he's going to be really great. But, like, can he fight these guys now? They're like, no, no, no. Shogun and Rampage need to get to the end of their prime. And then we'll, 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 we'll have him fight him. And then he'll have his names on the resume. And I'm not trying to take away from John Jones here. But what I just did was I made a perspective point. I made a perspective point. It's all about perspective and how you look at things. And it's like, oh, he'd be... Yeah, you're Rodriguez be BJ Penn. Like that wasn't that wasn't BJ Penn. If that was BJ Penn, then believe me, I'm I'm one of BJ Penn's biggest fans. I would have picked BJ Penn if that was BJ Penn. That wasn't that wasn't BJ Penn. That was that was an old shot fighter. And the bottom may very well drop out and Frankie Edgar in this fight. Yeah, may very well win, but but I do not think Frankie is that shot fighter um yet. And he certainly hasn't shown any signs nowhere near the signs that BJ Penn has been showing for years on end, and that's because BJ Penn has fucking balls, and if the UFC ever offered these fights that they fucking offered John Jones or fucking Yair Rodriguez, talented guys who needed no help, they already had the biological free hand, much less all the goddamn super gyms and God knows what else helping them, BJ would have spit on that fucking matchmaking, and he's done that before, and that's why that man deserves your respect. Not going to side tangent on that, but the point is you got to see the forest through the trees. It doesn't mean Yair's not going to be great. He could be very well as great, just like John Jones ended up being that fucking good. Yes, Yair can too. But let's be fucking real here, people. Let's, let's, let's just pump the brakes a little bit. This match is going to tell us a lot about him because... You know, when I see him grapple, there are still things that, even though he's not getting into leg entanglements as needlessly, he still opens himself up for back takes. He still opens himself up for, you know, secessions of top position um, in those scrambles. And if he fails to bail the appropriate times or if he overstays his welcome against someone the caliber of Frankie Edgar, who is so goddamn good at re-wrestling and just being relentless and just making you hate your freaking life. It's going to wear on him, you know. And I, again, I was impressed with Yair in five-round fights at, at altitude against Alex Caceres. But um, let's be honest, as close as a fight Alex Caceres gave him, who was high on Alex Caceres? 
Uh, no, no, nobody was before that fight. How about the couple of years before that fight? Mm, nobody was before that. How about when there was hype because you know he was Bruce Leroy, the guy with the afro, before all the the drugs and the falters and inconsistent performances and disturbing concussions in the ring happened, which all those, by the way, happened years before he even met and gave a close fight to a Yair Rodriguez. Who was high on him then? Actually, not a lot of people. No one was ever fucking high on Alex Caceres. And then we all started giving him respect, which we should because he's an awesome guy. And I respect people from uh, John Crouch's camp because the UFC seems to, matchmakers at least seem to fucking hate that camp, right? I mean, how many fucking dog fights were there? Like the ridiculous dog, you know, did they get those matchups? It feels like they are always getting those matchups. Neither here nor there. But what happens to Alex Caceres? Again, the perspective thing. Obviously, John Jones is great. Obviously, Shogun and them are great. But that, that perspective thing I just pulled on y'all earlier, I'm doing it again right here. What happened to Alex Caceres after that? He gets just worked by Jason Knight after having one of the best camps of his career, right? After training and schooling a legend like BJ Penn, with at least, you know, even though it wasn't BJ Penn at that time because BJ was getting ready for year that had to at least, given not only benefit to year but the people that BJ was training with comes in and gets worked by Jason Knight. Now, again, like you heard, I am a big Jason Knight fan. Kid is growing, proving me wrong each time. Probably going to prove me wrong again. I'd be happy to. I'm a huge fan. Don't mind it at all. But look at Jason Knight's record. Not impressive. Not impressive at all, especially up till that point. And then he puts Caceres away in the second round. Just taxes him on the feet, on the ground for every mistake that he made. He was making the same goddamn mistakes he made against Yair. He's making the same mistakes he's been making for the last couple of years. But what we give y'all, y'all, y'all giving Caceres credit you know, post his Yair fight just because he brought Yair to a close decision. Well, why is that? Because of the hype train, the thing I'm ranting, you probably are sick of me. I know I'm sick of hearing me talking about it right now. It's because of that. Again, the perspective gets cloudy. I'm fucking ranting on way too long about this, but I essentially think this is going, everybody's got to pay their taxes, okay? People way more talented than Yair Rodriguez had to pay their taxes in the sport. I think this is a spot where he does it. Frank, he seems to be taking this personal. He knew this matchmaking when it got presented. You know, you think there's something, uh, a different tone to me? Boy, tell you, no one fighters and no one competitors. I can hear that in Frankie, not even knowing the guy. He's taking this one personal. A little bit. A little bit. See that De Niro, Bobby D, that little Bobby D and Frankie Edgar. I think it's going to come out here. The Raging Bull, Jersey Strong, Jersey Jersey. And it's going to look like John Fitch when Eric Silva met him. And hopefully, <laughs> if that does happen, yeah, yeah, Rodriguez doesn't get traumatized like Eric Silva. Because I really do believe the kid's got a bright, bright career. But I felt that the reason why I'm taking probably a harder stance than I actually really even give a shit about this matchup, to be honest, like... Hey, they both beat my guy. They can both knock out each other for I like, right? Hey, if I'm going to play the fucking fan side. But I'm not. I'm being a legitimate analyst here. And if I'm adding any character, forgive me. It's late. Been drinking. But I'm not even using that excuse. I'm cogn- I'm consciously doing so. Because sometimes I feel like there has to be bar- balance to that narrative line. And if I'm going to have a fucking <laughs> podcast and somewhat of an audience, I can at least use it for, for, for spots like this. Anyways, I could be wrong, and that's fine. And I'll be the first to admit it if I am. But also, I, I will say this now before anything happens. If, it's, if I'm wrong and it's because it's a spin kick in the first round, oh, my God. Oh. And I'm probably going to get I told you so because I, I just said how much it bothers me. But, yeah, that, that, that would piss me off. I'll be honest there because it's like – 
ah, we're not going to have learned anything. And, you know, amongst the era, I'm not going to get into an even bigger rant now, but where we're just screwing over our divisions and all this log jam and this bullshit Reebok, and we're just throwing our legends to the, the these fucking comprised hype machines who we think are just going to save us because they represent a certain demographic and do a flashy move. Really bums me out. Really bums me out. So hopefully it's just a good fight where the legend doesn't get thrashed and the young prospect doesn't have his trajectory ruined, but they both grow from it. Right? Let, let, let's go for the positive there. Let's go for the middle, right? Hey, all right, next fight, Dan. You fucking ranted way too long about that one. All right, the next one is going to be Jorge Masvidal versus Damian Maya. Man, I came and leaned toward Damian when they first announced this, but when I just started looking at the matchup, oh, wow. Started ringing like old Jacare Souza and Robert Whitaker, that dynamic. Now, Masvidal is not as quick to circle off which is what troubled me, even though he has excellent takedown defense. Always had, mind you. I mean, you if you haven't been following Jorge Masvidal for the last decade of his career, um, wrestling was uh, one of the first chops that he started sharpening once the former Street Fighter made his way to MMA. So. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, was it? Yeah, I believe it was Heavy Hands, uh, Wyman and Rebush were talking about um, I think Masvidal in particular, when they were talking about like fighters, young fighters, um, forced to be slick and crafty, and I sentiment that, and I actually um, write a little bit more in depth about that in my breakdown, and I kind of include in the profile um, young fighters because it's not just you're not just young, but small fighters, uh, smaller than their contemporaries, and you, you know Jorge Masvidal has grown into a welterweight, but a welterweight is amongst probably the average in the human spectrum. And Jorge's been fighting since, you know, he's probably in his 140s or 150s. I mean, you know, uh, since he was much smaller. And the reason why those examples of the, when, when guys like that or I've heard other people talk about similar themes to this before, that harkens true to me and hits a spot with me because I've always been a smaller, younger guy. Um, mixing it up with older age groups from kids to teenagers, from teenagers to adults, from young adult to big adult to purple belt with black belts, etc. and so forth. I've always I've always been the small fish in the pond and been someone to have to learn a fight from a deficit. And now in hindsight and retrospect, it's great because when I analyze fights, it allows me to see certain things like rhythm. I can pick up when guys are getting tired, a much less, you know, uh, more technical aspects of holes when, when when things open up that way technically when something's wrong because when you're small when you're not athletic uh, and when you're doing it from a young age you need every advantage possible so you learn attitude you get really tough right and you have that attitude but then you also have an understanding of a rhythm and a flow of the fight game you in the spiritual sense but the hard techniques you pay attention you do your reps you do your jabs you bring your hand back to your chin because you know you can't afford to take shots like other people you're not as big you're not as strong you're not as durable and you're not as gifted but if you do it long enough those streets that environment whatever your environment is, will mold you. And it molded Jorge Masvidal. And unfortunately, that comfortability can bite you in the ass as far as scorecards or in the sporting sense of the sport. Because I do this too where I either win a match by domination or submission or 
I lose by like if they had tech falls in grappling tournaments, my loss would have come by tech falls before it came by the actual match because I was so willing to give passes and put myself in bad positions because I was so comfortable where I was at and I was playing for the bigger game at hand that the points and the little positions and the things people would stress their adrenal systems and psychology to their physical muscles for muscles, sorry, for uh, I, I wouldn't bother me because I'm playing for the next position ahead. Um, that's why you hear me talk so passionately about presenting, which is something Maya gets to and I'll get to in a second. But it, it cost Masvidal because we would see him kind of do activity lulls. And you know, a lot of that was attributed to him being at lightweight. And those are no more since he moved up to welterweight. He's got the energy to kind of push the pace. And now he'll do that. He's adjusted that in his stand-up game. Now, instead of hanging back and being more of a slick boxer... We're seeing Masvidal do more Muay Thai, you know, Thai marches. He's working off of Thai marches, but still owning the center line with his jab cross continuums, variating hooks appropriately, going to the body when it's necessary. And I think he's shown those adjustments late in his career, recently in his career, relevantly in his career. I believe those adjustments can show through in his grappling um, as far as knowing when to bail because... I feel like he can stop Maya's reactive shots and even Maya's work against the cage, which is exquisite in the way the man uses leg dexterity and sweeps and just is symbiotic with his hips. It's really, really underrated. Like I believe he can get Masvidal down, but Masvidal is so persistent in the pop in his hips, and he's so good about circling his hips away. You never really see him get his back taken, at least like in the last eight to eight to nine years of his career, really, you're hard-pressed to find a spot where he's got his back team because he's so good at using the cage. And even when the cage is not there, he's circling his hips out um, so you can't get to his back. And when you follow his hips in attempt to get to his back, he's cutting you off. He's swimming, swimming up an underhook, getting a block there, coming up, re-wrestling, even reversing it sometimes. So I think we're going to see that evolution because Maya's tricky, man. Even when he can't get you with those those real savvy takedowns that he has, he's good you know, as far as um, being a presenter like with Matt Brown where he uh, he would fall to half guard, kind of like not as eloquent as, 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 a, as a prime Big Nog, Rodrigo Noguera did in Pride where he would shoot the, the shitty uh, double leg and then immediately sit into the half guard. And be like, oh, cool, you sprawled my, my shitty shot. That's cool, but now you're in my half guard. Now you're forced to grapple with me, and now I'm working my sweep before you can even work your overhook and defense and posture. Oh, now you're on your back, and yes, that's it. And that's what Damian Maya does. He's such a beautiful presenter, but he fades toward the later end of round so even if he's doing better than I think he will as far as not just getting Masvidal down but even working him I think Masvidal's defense is good enough to hold him off to the end of the round where he can start to surmount his offense again I don't think Masvidal is going to win a decision here I don't think that's in his game plan but I do think that if Maya does not find significant success in that first round Masvidal will continue to make him pay off the breaks and I can't tell you which round this is going to happen, but I will say it's going to be at the end of the round where Masvidal's volume picks up. And that is also a trend spot for Damian Maya where he starts to drop off and traditionally tire. I played Masvidal inside the distance plus 269. By the way, I also played Edgar by oh, – that was a 269 for one unit. Also played Edgar by decision plus 128 for a quarter unit. Pettis by decision. I threw – I had to throw a quarter unit on that. I got all the way up to plus 500. So help me. So help me. I made a decent case, right? I'm not saying he's going to win. I said Sudo's a deserved favorite, but but 
by gosh, there's a case there, and that's a that's a damn inflated line. I had to take a fun flyer on that, and yes, Poye Alvarez does not go the distance. Minus 105, so we were all caught up on that. Pieces of the parlays had been let out, and one of the uh, kind of flyers uh, pieces of the parlay is not listed because this is kind of a weird one only if you use a house that does so, but a piece I used was for this fight, and that was Masvidal Maya. does not go the distance. Minus 150, I, I feel that that is solid there. I believe that one of these guys, one of these guys is going to go out before the bell ends, and that brings us to the co-main event. Ioanni and Jacek versus Jessica Andrade. I admittedly came in favoring Andrade. And even though I ended up picking Andrade, I picked her much more reluctantly. And that shouldn't surprise you because Ioanni and Jacek is one of the best pound-for-pound fighters. And yes, people have even called me crazy for picking against her. But not only did I well, defend myself because I, I, I feel like I made a, a decent argument for Pettis over Cejudo, but... I don't need to make an argument for this one. The line, the general public agrees with me. This one, this is pretty close here. I mean, Andrade is, is like down to like a plus 135 uh, underdog now. It's not That's not much of a dog to one of the best pound-for-pound pound female fighters, Joanna uh, Jacek. And again, don't get me wrong. If you read my breakdown, you will state, like, I'm not... I'm not super certain on this. I did play Andrade. I again, I stick by my guns. If I if I put it in my official pick, there's a reason for it, and I put my money behind it, even though I'm not telling you to. I still do, but I will admit, not 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 as confident. I, I feel like it's going to be a real do or die. I didn't like that Andrade wasn't training up here when she was training up here. I got to see her team, who she was sparring with, who she was being coached by, and just kind of with her her tight team with uh, Piranha, Coach Piranha there, who's an awesome guy by the way. And that's part of the reason why I am confident is because it is a team that is just symbiotic with Jessica. You know, it looks really, you know, ghetto in comparison to the American top team and the high-tech stuff that, you know, Yoni and Jake is getting. But, man, that is a team that really cares about their fighter. I could tell, you know, when I was spending time, I wrote that article earlier, January, you know, boxing down here in Vegas, spending time with Jessica Andrade and her team. And you could just really see how much they care. And I don't want to divulge too much into the game plan. Me and Coach Reyes who, you know, just shouted out from Cage Riders. We were kind of talking about it last night a little bit. And again, he can't talk too much, nor can I. But we do kind of have an idea what we think of what the original game plan was and what they're probably going to be going with since they ended up decided and doing their camp in Brazil. And that's why I say it's going to be a bloody one. Um, and it's weird because you're like, oh, maybe, you know, everybody's talking about Yun Jacek's chin, which I talk about. And I even do comparisons to the trends of her five-round wars in comparison to the great George St. Pierre. But at the same time, even though I go in deep like that, I don't necessarily put the weight other people are putting as far as their, as far as their reasoning for picking Andrade. So sort of banking and Yun Jacek's chin, I think it's something that's there. I think it's going to be... I think more is going to be answered from this fight from it, but that's not a basis of my pick, nor should I think it necessarily be the basis. Mine is more just overall pressure, even though Joanna Janjacek has an amazing clinch and good takedown defense. The high hoisting, high crotch, uh, super strength of Jessica Andrade is a bad stylistic fit that I think can get Joanna Janjacek down. Even though I'm a, a huge champion of the single leg get up, um, because Ioanni and Jacek uh, goes to it. She's one of the best at it. I use her example all the time. I wish more MMA fighters do it because 
even though it opens up Darces and guillotines, which I'll touch on here in one second as it's relevant to this matchup, it's good because if your head position is correct, you can kind of just dive face first into someone's crotch as terrible as that sounds trust me it's better than getting smashed in the head because if you dive face first into the crotch into the unified rules of mma it only allows certain areas that are illegal to hit exposed for your opponent to hit and you can still get in real tight to the hip bone and kind of navigate and finish a single from there now the danger is you have to know that you're doing that. Um, you start deviating your head even just a little bit, you're in danger for a guillotine. That's why you hear um, head high, head high, high underhook, head high for the underhook getups, right? That is true. There is nothing wrong with that. Yes, that makes it hard to get deocene and darsis, but you... You need a certain, I've talked about this in prior podcasts, you need a certain leverage point to begin with. And if somebody's good from that topside half guard and or they just down and outright cut your head position off before you can establish that that justified posture to let you come up safely, you have to play low and put your head low and also put your underhook low where I'll actually, instead of going under the armpit, armpit, which is a high stereotypical underhook, I will go under the ass because again, when you have your head that low and you have your underhook that low, whether they want to reach low for that overhook that transfers into the dars or reach low for the guillotine, they have to sacrifice their base and their hips to the point where they're already giving you the sweep to sweep and tip them over. Um, that is a detail that I don't hear talked about a lot, but it's one of the most high percentage sweeps and it's going to be dangerous for Yin Jacek, even though she's good at it. Joanne, Joanne Calder was actually pretty decent at it. Although we saw in her fight with Jessica Andrade, she used a single leg get up that I'm talking about, but you'll see she actually keeps a pretty good job. Like her underhook deviates a bit, but it's around ass level. Like she had the idea, right? But you see her head deviate to the left side of Andrade's hip, which was feeding right into the guillotine. So that costed Calderwood a guillotine loss. So not only can Andrade get her down stylistically, uh, forget the strength, which I think we all can agree there, just by sheer strength she can, but stylistically, it's a really good puzzle piece fit, so to speak. And even on the ground for Yanjaychik's counter, once that happens, it plays right into the sharpest tool set of Andrade's show again. Another really good puzzle piece. That's not even to mention if Andrade is able to work her top position and her smash and pass styling, which is another facet that I think will fit very well against someone like Yanjaychik, who hasn't had to deal with that style per se, much less a beast and physical uh, vehicle that can carry out those orders, so to speak, like Andrade can. So that is definitely something to look out for. And I think that even if she can't do it, I think just initiating those stanzas at least once through a round will be enough to win her around if it's really close. And, and again, like I said in my breakdown, I could totally see a scenario where in Jacek uses her half steps, her footwork. Uh, someone uh, pointed out, you know, someone said, um, and it was cool because they're, they're actually shouting somebody else. I think uh, Kobe's corner, shout out, shout out to Kobe. Um, again, I, I don't, I don't really get to watch his work or anything, but I know that dude's been on the grind for a minute. I'm, I'm the last person to not give anybody credit where credit's due and hard work always gets credit with me. So shout out to Kobe there, but apparently he had something on the footwork and someone was asking me about that. And again, it's one of those things where I'm like, listen to the podcast or read, read the article. Like I, I actually talk about it, but, but you know, uh, yes, yes. I love you on JCheck's half step and pivot. It's one of my favorite parts of her game. And I explain how that feeds into it. And I could totally see her using that and her jab to catch, uh, Andrage coming in. In fact, 
you know, we saw Angela Hill able to catch Andrade, and although Andrade dealt dealt with getting stunned and cut and all those things well, and people can point, well, Angela Hill's not letting in Jacek, she's able to catch. Like, I get that aspect too, but you have to look at overcoming adversity weighs much more with me. Doesn't have to with you, but I do. Argue, I will argue. I should say that that overcoming adversity should earn a spot higher in most people's book. Um, neither here nor there. Um, one of the things I think that's going to be most potent for Jan Jacek is those elbows, catching Andrade in the way in and the clinch. Again, defense is not a huge priority for Andrade, especially because she's you know shown to take damage well. You know. There's two TKO losses, but one was her third fight into her career, and she has only been training martial arts for maybe a year and a half. I think she trained for six months before her first fight. So keep that in mind. Um, it was a TKO where she was standing. I mean, she was taking about two rounds of a beating in Brazil, and the referee mercilessly stopped it when they could have stopped it way before, but Andrade never went down. She was so tough. It was weight classes up. She barely been training years ago. And to add even another full to that, <laughs> the girl that did that to her is 9-2 and two and doing really well and would be in the UFC, but it looks like she's currently locked up in Pancrase. The next person to stop her was a... a, a Gosh, well, I should probably know this. I want to say it was uh, Liz Carmouche. Either way, it was her, her UFC, or maybe Alexis Davis. Yeah, Alexis Davis, I think. It was her UFC debut against a veteran like that. And it was a you know mount position. She couldn't do anything, was taking a beating for a while. Again, she was never stopped and dropped uh, type of things for her TKO losses. And, and very understandable and excusable scenarios. So she takes damage well, but I do not like people taking damage from Ian Jacek. I know Ian Jacek's fought a lot of decisions. People forget, Jacek has heavy hands. She's very violent and very unforgiving. I think it's going to be heavy doses of elbows for Andrade on the way in. And the one shot that that's screaming out to me knows, and usually it's like if one shot's screaming out to you more than any other shot from either side, shouldn't you back that fighter? Maybe you're right. Maybe I should be backing the champion, and you have every right to make fun of me after this. This one I can't defend make fun of me but i do see that left high kick off the break something that yoni and jacek took in from her muay thai days she abandoned it for a while because she admittedly didn't want to kick you know uh, until she was comfortable which ironically didn't come until she was a champion you know she won the belt without even kicking which is crazy but lately she really loves those left high kicks off the break i think uh I think you want a champion uh is going to take one of those high kicks and, and hit Andrade off the break with it you know but but if she can't stop her with those elbows or those high kicks, I do feel that Andrade has shown she can go at least three rounds. As I feel she can take at least three of the five rounds from the champion until we get a new champion. I did play it. I don't suggest you to jump off that cliff. And by God, we are almost at the two-hour mark. What are you doing this long? I can't wait to hear the comments of hate from the stupid things I've said to the length that I've run. I apologize. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Main event, Stipe Miocic versus Junior Dos Santos. No fucking plays here. Um, you should be sitting back and just cracking a beer, as I say in the breakdown. And that sounds like a cop-out, but honestly, this is a fight where you can make arguments for both guys winning early, both guys dominating, both guys coming back late, winning scorecards, split decision, unanimous, Every outcome, essentially, almost, even a submission, <laughs> you could probably argue, although not as strongly, obviously, with their sensibilities, you could argue for both guys. I have a... 
this is another one where make fun of me if Junior Dos Santos wins because I see the left counter, you know, left hand uh, being there for him in this fight. But I just have a hard time betting against Stipe. It's probably because I bet against Stipe his last four fights. That's right. I've bet against Stipe, and he has won every time. He has shut me up. I am done betting against this guy, but that is not just why I bet against him here. I believe he has made the bigger adjustments since their last fight. He has been more active, although I am also one that agrees that Dos Santos being inactive not only is not necessarily a bad thing, but you could argue a good thing because the dude's taking a lot of damage. But with that damage trend being dropped, stopped, or hurt in four of his last six fights, that is Junior Dos Santos. And with Stipe being active and stopping everybody in his path since that fight with Dos Anjos, he is the man who's made more adjustments. And oftentimes, whether we're looking at boxing or mixed martial arts, it is the man who makes the adjustments who's often going to win. I believe Stipe has made those adjustments. He has more pathways to victory. He presents pressure, which has always been something that has traditionally troubled Junior Dos Santos, whether it be Cain Velasquez or even his battle with Stipe Miocic, which was a close one, lest we forget, right? Some people even scored it for Stipe. I still scored it for Junior. Um, he stole those rounds, in my opinion, uh, justfully so. And, uh, yeah. But nevertheless, it was a close competitive fight. I do think Stipe makes the adjustments this time around. I'm almost nervous because Stipe is looking so loose on some of these M's going into it. I believe it's only up to like M3. Four and five is probably going to be up by the time y'all hear this. But I've only seen up to three at least. And, uh, you know, it worries me. And Dos Santos is such a nice guy, such a family, one of the most genuinely nicest fighters. Always been a fan of that guy. I will definitely be happy if I'm wrong here. But from the on-paper trends to my own personal bullshit, like, I have a hard time picking against Stipe here. I avoided playing this one. I honestly don't even think I made... I literally might not have made one play on this fight. I'm not even shitting you. I don't even think I played that it did not go the distance because I think it goes the distance. I think both guys are so durable. They've The, the, uh, the, the importance at hand is so much. There's so much respect, and there is going to be a feeling-out process regardless in my opinion, I think this goes longer than shorter, but I'm not going to bet on that. I'm going to sit back and enjoy these 14 fights. It took me a fucking two hours to pretend. You spent a lot of that time rambling about bullshit and, and, and reviewing. Shh, shh, quiet, quiet. And I apologize if I sound dismissive, if I, if I sound uh, dismissive about the, uh, or not dismissive, but just, just rude. I felt bad at that Jessica Aguilar thing. Very assumptuous there. She seems like a really nice girl, so... God, I'm such a nice guy. I'm still stewing about that. Like, it's actually, like... Dan, it's the end of the podcast. I the end of the podcast. Like, he went to see a movie and shit since then. Like, let it go. The movie was fucking good. Uh, that was awesome. It was cool being a human being, even though I still didn't finish my work in time. And I'll still be up late tonight. I will eventually get some rest, folks. I promise. Like, I don't know how many more dogs can be sick, how many... How much more electricity, and how much more pipes can bust, how much... More shingles can outbreak, and how many other things that I've been dealing with? I don't, I don't, I think, I think it's got to be done, right? It's got to be done. Regularity, right? Hopefully, hopefully some regularity. Hopefully, more importantly, some well, not more importantly. My, my dog is the most fucking important thing, but second importantly, hopefully there's some good news down the pipe as far as old Dan Tom's career here. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to be starting to figure out some sponsorships and really start cracking down on that. But no, I really want to keep all this content free. I'm not really looking to do any of that. So if you like it free, please, please keep the positive words and shares coming. That's the best thing, honestly, you could do. Thank you so much. Um, We'll do an after-party edition 
we'll do a recap. Uh, speaking of my dog and y'all people doing shoutouts, big shout to at NLV88. Nicholas gave a very nice uh, shout-out to my dog. I was kind of half-joking with him saying I give him a shout-out on the podcast, but fuck it. I'm going to give you a shout-out on the podcast, Nicholas. Thank you, sir. Thanks for following. Thanks for your kind words. Thanks for all your kind words. This thing has probably run too long. I'm just going to do a quick, quick perusal to make sure I did not miss anything. No. It was a pretty big update. It was a pretty big card. Um, I even took an, a pretty big break in between this podcast. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you don't hate me too much uh, after putting you through it. Love y'all. Good luck on your plays. Uh, have fun this weekend. Don't take life too seriously. And until next time, protect your next.